You better be listening to Slezoids or I must break you. The day that took out bank in armor for over three hundred thousand dollars. When I introduce you, I'm gonna say this is a friend of mine. That means you're connected then. Now if I said instead, this is a friend of ours, that would mean you were made guy. Like a bitch. Who's this guy? This Donnie, a friend of mine. And I'm gonna have to school you, my friend. School me what? This guy never carries his money in a wallet. He's always in a room. You want your brains all over that wallet? Yeah. You gotta get rid of that mustache and get yourself a pair of pants. Just, just like me. In our thing, you get sent for, you go in alive, you come out dead, and it's your best friend that does it. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon... We're talking uh, cool Elliot Gold and his complicated relationship with L.A. and his cat, so join the sleaze. <laughs> we decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over three years. So yeah. there's something like 70-plus, maybe even getting up to 80-plus. I have no idea. I've lost track. Yeah, sign there are up. a lot of bonus come episodes. Come on. You're, if you're listening, sign up. Toss the sign boys up. Come a, on. A, a buck or two. Come on now. Appreciate <laughs> That's it. what's up. <laughs> um, so there are a lot of bonus episodes waiting for you. Patreon.com slash Thesoids uh, podcast. Uh, speaking of which, we have a lot of people who made the jump this week, so I'll give them their shout outs here. Nice. Uh, we had Lorne Kilgore, cool uh, Clay North. Oh my. Uh, boy, Boyo? Bo- Is it just Boyo guys, like Bono? N- I, maybe. <laughs> it's just B O I O. Interesting. Nice. Um, uh, James yeah. Harrington uh, signed up, and James Harrington, worth noting, he signed up at our new tier, which is uh, an, an annual tier. So he signed up for a full year of the podcast, which is now oh, a thing killer. you can do if you want to get a, a, a discounted, slightly discounted monthly rate. So thanks to James Harrington for being the first one to do that. Yeah, I just nice. added that feature like a month ago, so thanks, James. <laughs> cool. and, and then uh, we also have uh, Nathan. So thanks so much to uh, all of you folks for uh signing up this week hope you're enjoying those bonus episodes that's the one plug the other plug uh apple Podcasts. if you guys are listening on apple Podcasts, and i see the stats i see you right now listening on apple Podcasts. i know that you're out there we see you (laughs) scroll down to the very bottom right now give us a good old rating and review down there helps us uh, climb the ranks at itunes and find new listeners and then the very last plug uh is merch if you guys like the uh poster art that local horror artist trevor henderson did for the show uh you can get that basically now put on anything you want a sweatshirt uh a a hoodie a notebook a pillow exactly it's out there you'll find the link in the description if you're interested in any sort of merch uh as well as at sleazoidspodcast.com but that it. is it. The intro is done. Welcome back to another week. Uh, I am your host, as always, Josh Lewis, and joining me, as always, my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back. Welcome. I think uh, two weeks ago would have been the last time you folks would have heard from us, and uh, we would have been um, doing the uh, the big Dolph Month episode, the one everyone Ooh. was waiting for. We had special mm. guest Cameron from the podcast about List. Uh, show on 
And he brought with him uh, Universal Soldier from 1992, directed by yeah. Roland Emmerich, uh, Van Damme versus Dolph. A uh, lot of fun to talk about. We also got to talk a little bit about the uh, direct-to-video sequels that uh, John Hyams has been doing, which are incredible. Uh, Jean-Claude and Dolph both still killing it. Oh, yeah. And uh, so it was a fun 90s action sci-fi programmer, which was then paired with uh, Dolph, who in that film uh, went villain mode, going a little bit uh, maniacal, a little bit uh, casualties of war meets the Terminator a little bit with <laughs> Dolph on that one. In this, in the follow-up one, which was the pairing Johnny New mnemonic we got to see him <laughs> oh, that's a good pairing actually try like johnny and, mnemonic so good, <laughs> try and chop off piano reeves head as a uh, crazy psycho priest who is being uh, paid by takeshi kitano and he's got like and, long uh, metal hair and a giant beard it's fantastic his, his his bible is his telephone screen and he has a he has a crucifix knife and everything oh, either way man. very fun Dolph movies uh to talk about and johnny mnemonic just an uh, an awesome film in general by william gibson and robert longo so uh that was last week's uh, or sorry two weeks ago that was the free episode on any podcast listener of choice for anyone who missed that uh, that was a fun one. And then last week for the bonus listeners over on Patreon, we wrapped up Dolph Month, where uh, we talked about 1996 uh, Silent Trigger, directed by Russell Mulcahy, who a did like Highlander. Banger. A very surprising uh, banger, which I programmed originally thinking that it was just going to be Dolph Lundgren, uh, 90s action programmer with him with a sniper rifle in a giant tower, uh, disobeying his assassin bosses. Uh, but it turned out to be like this really weird uh, horror movie slash romance movie where he uh, tries to uh, escape the life of being an assassin with his sexy spotter partner. <laughs> and the very minimalist horror design of the tower it was almost like experimental theater-esque and the mm -hmm. romance was surprisingly uh, you know, thought through in terms of the character. So a very surprising one to end on because it was the start of Dolph's like, direct-to-video phase that he had such a banger in the late 90s and then the pairing with that was blackjack which is uh, a film that like no one has seen i was about to uh, say i've never even heard of that i don't think directed by john before. woo crazy which is uh, in insane that and it has plenty not, of wooisms too which i was yeah it's that that it's not about. more talked about um but yeah that that one has dolph lundgren playing a, a u.s marshal turned bodyguard who is uh, a magician and uh uses playing cards as uh tools of violence in john woo set pieces where he uh you know there's exploding flying no dirt more. bikes and oh, and uh, dolph dual wields <laughs> while jumping on a trampoline dolph's character also is a crippling has a crippling fear of the color white Oh man! So milk which the comes villains, <laughs> which the villains do use against him by yes, weaponizing uh, giant piles of milk that they throw at him <laughs> and bed sheets and other things that happen. I love every time and the, you say it; it's just amazing. Yeah, and 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 this was this was all this was a TV movie Incredible that was only turned push. into a TV movie because it was a failed TV pilot that they originally intended to make into a uh, show which was going to be written by one of the head writers on the Miami Vice television show. And was probably going to be a had no idea what to do with John Woo, did they? Probably I mean, no. not. Yeah. And the, the thing that's crazy is that it, it absolutely is a TV movie and you can tell it's a TV movie and John Woo still gets crazy stunt set pieces <laughs> yeah. in there. Um, it's amazing that it's a TV movie. 
yeah, definitely uh, a, a surprise for us and uh, definitely worth checking out. And again, that was last week's bonus episode, patreon.com slash podcast if you're interested in that. But we are officially done with Dolph Month. It's over. We talked Dolph Lundgren. We will miss Thanks him. for calling in, man. We were very stoked about that. And we are moving. We lump. are moving. Yeah, but we are, you know, we're, we're going to come back to him at some point, but we're taking a break. We're going back to regular scheduled programming. And uh, you probably already heard him jumping in a little bit beforehand here, but we have a very special returning guest uh, joining us, someone we always love uh, to see his tweets and see when he's coming on. That is Nick Yusa. Nick, how you doing? I'm good, guys. Yeah, sorry. I have no podcast etiquette. I love to just jump right in. No, we, no, loved, we loved it. It was great. And, it was great. No, no one cents. else does it. No one else has the confidence to pull it off, <laughs> uh, to even to even go for it. But uh, no, we, we, we love having you on, Nick, and we were glad. I was so glad when you said that you would you would come back on again because I knew that you had, uh, you know, we, we had a fun time talking with you last time. We did uh, To Die For and A Perfect Murder. We kind of talked yeah. 90s erotic thrillers, but I, but I, I knew deep down that you know as much as we we enjoyed talking about those films and to die for was a banger that uh we know what your true passion is in film. that's right I'm, I'm sorry to say i think most people do no um, and that's by design to be clear like <laughs> i've almost i've tried to pivot my twitter where it's just like i'm tired you know what he's I'm, i was like i'm just gonna post about like organized crime from now on this is just gonna <laughs> no one can get mad at me about my organized crime opinions because i'm the only person <laughs> who who has read enough to to have an opinion so um <laughs> you know so so, uh, so so i knew when we invited you on that that might be the direction you take us and you did not uh disappoint so as it goes nick you know the guests bring on the film. So what films uh, have you brought with you this week and why do they pair together? So I brought two of my um, favorite movies. Um, the first is Across 110th Street, which is a, uh, a really sort of fun, very violent, I would say almost like grindhouse-y um, mm-hmm. type, type film uh, where it has um, one of my favorite uh, poster taglines ever. Uh, which is if you steal $300,000 from the mob, it's not robbery, it's suicide. And to me, it's the way I ended up watching the movie the first time is I saw that tagline and I said, say no more. I hit play. I think I saw it on uh, Turner Classic one time. And mm-hmm. um, and so it's, it's as the tagline says, it's about a group of guys who, who rob a, a mob numbers racket up in Harlem. And... It's sort of a race against the clock uh, by these New York City detectives played by Anthony Quinn and Yafet Koto, two favorites of mine, to find these guys before the mob does. Um, And then I paired that with a film that I um, consider to be um, a masterpiece uh, due to its accuracy and the way it captures its subject matter, and that's uh, Donnie Brasco starring... The singular Al Pacino and Johnny Depp, and um, I'm I'm really thrilled to to have the platform to talk about these two movies um, because I don't I don't see them talked about as much and definitely oh and if I didn't say they're obviously both mob movies um, which is <laughs> how, why I thought they would be a good pairing but you know obviously Goodfellas uh, Casino Irishman Mean Streets any anything Scorsese gets talked about into the ground um godfather etc and for good reason um 
but I, I obviously wanted to try and bring two movies on the subject matter that don't necessarily get talked about as much. So thank you for yeah. giving me the opportunity to do that. Absolutely. No, we're, we're, we're uh, very stoked to talk about kind of like the 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 b-sides of the mob genre that maybe people aren't uh talking about um as much and very interested to get your mm-hmm. uh your your expert opinion having read <laughs> everything about this shit because i honestly haven't so i don't i don't know so i'm, I'm expecting to learn a lot on this episode uh, i know dude i'm a sicko and you know what i feel like i need to give this disclaimer that i've had to work on this in real life um to explain this issue too i'm not like um I'm not like a weird fanboy. The best way I can describe it is I'm I'm a boomer, but instead of World War II, I just like reading about the mob. Um, <laughs> right. So, 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 so you're, you're saying you're you're not like one of those true crime sickos who are like Manson is uh, my my friend. Yeah, like these guys are scumbag criminals. Like let's be clear. However, it's like this. I've I've always been fascinated by niche subject matter, niche cultures, and you know the the mentality behind this why or got how why this institution known as la cosa nostra the american mafia even exists today it it defies logic right and so that's fascinating to me and we'll talk more about this and, and one of the reasons why i like these movies is but you know you got guys who are constantly facing decades in federal prison who are making less than you would probably working at five guys you know <laughs> right and right. it's so so what's the motivation right and it's and at this stage of the game, it's become this weird circular loop of, well, now we, you have guys who grew up on all, all these movies, and so that's why they do it. But anyway, we'll get into this more. But so yes, to be clear, uh, just think of me as a as a boomer, but instead of wearing like my World War II hat, it's <laughs> like a, a little Italy hat or something. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, well, I think that's, that's as good as any introduction as we're gonna get. And uh, we are going to jump right into these films here. We're going to tackle them, I think, chronologically. And we are going to start with Across 110th Street. Right, we are talking Across 110th Street, the uh, 1972 American action crime film directed by uh, Barry Shear and starring uh, Yafet Koto, Anthony Quinn, Anthony uh, Francia. You might have to get my Italian pronunciation right there. <laughs> Fran- Franciosa? Uh, I'm, gonna ha- I'm sorry, I'm going to have to. <laughs> I, I got to say. Franchosha, hey. maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and Paul Benjamin. Uh, are the are, are the main actors um, here? Nick, Nick Nick might correct me in a second if I was and uh, if I, if and I and also it. too uh, Anthony Quinn executive produced it, which I found interesting. So he had a big hand in yeah. who got cast. Um, yeah, well, because I, I I saw that he originally didn't want to play the character at all. That he actually tried getting uh, Burt Lancaster and Kirk Douglas and John Wayne at one yes. point. Yeah, wow. I'm happy he ended up stepping in the. Did you see the thing about um, the Yafakoto Koto role though? About no. how 
Um, I guess they he originally had uh, Sidney Portier uh, lined up to do it. Oh, but then, that's that, that's funny because I I was gonna compare this to In the Heat of the Night a little bit. Yeah, and I guess the he talked to residents in Harlem and they said that like he wasn't real enough like he wasn't an accurate representation of like someone from harlem and so he ended up casting yafikoto instead and again my research is like the wikipedia page so who knows if that's true but i i if it is true i found that interesting yeah well i mean we we uh we talked about yafet um probably at this point just a couple of months ago when we did um truck turner with, right. with isaac hayes oh, nice. which uh yafit is just is just really awesome as the uh the yeah. big uh the, the the big pimp that truck turner uh so eventually ha- in has so to take down well and, and and he got that really amazing moment that was his idea where he basically said no i won't play this kind of stereotypical pimp character like unless you give me like a really you know uh intimate moment and mm-hmm. so they do this amazing thing in that film where kaplan shoots him dying from the point of view of his eyes fading mm-hmm. um and 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 him like going down and it's just such a weird sad moment of isaac you know because it's such a fun yeah. black exploitation action film with like isaac hayes doing the music to his own sex uh, like scene. sex scene <laughs> and like singing the lyrics and everything and like that's the kind of movie Can't. it is and then yeah. Yafet Kodo, you know, got to have his own imprint on it, on the character that he played. But, you know, Paul Schrader's Blue Collar. Yeah, he's amazing. one of my obviously, favorites. Obviously Alien. Um, mm, yeah. I, I haven't seen it, but apparently he's super good in Midnight Run. He is um, good in Midnight Run. He's even good in, in that crazy, in the crazy Bond uh, more. Uh, live and Let oh, Die. Oh, live, uh, live and Let Die, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he actually brings some, like, gravitas. In a way, he was sort of like, casting Mads Mikkelsen before Mads Mikkelsen. You know, that's like, that was a big get, which I didn't appreciate when I was a kid at the time. But um, He also mm-hmm. uh, goes up against Arnold in The Running Man, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. yes, he does. What was his character again? Do you remember just briefly? What was his, like, characteristic? Because they were all weird. <laughs> There's, like, hockey players yeah, and shit. I, I can't remember. Yeah, I'm, but anyway. I'm blanking on exactly which one he was now. Isn't that when he had... Is he, no, I feel like he also wears a headband in a lot of like I always mm. when I think of Yafikoto, <laughs> I think of him with like a headband on. He definitely has. I that think he wears one right? in like Alien and Blue yeah. Collar. I love he's him. Great. In, in, yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's Blue Collar so much. But yeah, it's it, it's a very and, and it it's a fitting casting too because up until you know this this point in his career, he was a lot of the time you know getting roles in kind of black exploitation films, and that's what's sort of interesting is that this is across 110th Street is like kind of like a perfect merging of what the black exploitation film crime yes. film was kind of looking like. It mm-hmm. reminded me a little bit of um, Larry Cohen's Black Caesar, which we mm-hmm. talked about, which was um, you know trying to bring the old school warner brothers gangster films like something like literally little caesar <laughs> right. with like edward g robinson uh but making it black caesar and bringing it into sort of like the modern 70s you know sort of a street crime kind of context and it does that a bit as more that one's more of like a like a character piece tragedy of this 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 dude who suffers um you know sort of like this this inciting uh, racist violence as a child and then that sort of uh trauma kind of like inspires him to rise the ranks and become successful and make sure that never happens to him
from. And the big uh, climactic moment of that film is him like literally putting the cop who abused him into blackface and then beating oh, him yeah. and thinking <laughs> like, he's the cop and like imagining him doing that. I think so he it's beats a really... him with the shoe shiner platform too. Like it's very, yeah. <laughs> very specific. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it sounds really ridiculous, but surprisingly the way that Fred Williamson plays it and the way that Larry Cohen yeah, um, yeah. Uh, films it, it's surprisingly uh, like a really sad heartfelt moment. And I, I yeah. felt some of that going into a across 110th street here, which Nick, I think, you know, aptly pointed out, like part of it, it feels, you know, like a, um, a, a kind of grindhouse film that you would go and it's cheap and it's fun. And the, 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 the shootouts are, you know, really loud and bloody. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you would, you know, in, there's some definitely some real uh, grindhouse entertainment value out of this film, but like black Caesar, I also found this film really depressing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, um, this film is so dark. It's just, nobody yeah. comes out on top. It's, it's, it's just a like a meat shredder essentially well and and and, and yeah. the ways that it, it tries to incorporate like the civil rights history of harlem at the time obviously 110th street being the dividing line between central park and 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 harlem and the way it tries to incorporate you know like real race and class history of the late 60s you know when harlem you know saw a lot of uh, police violence and a lot of riots a lot of stuff that you can kind of still see um, today in, in the U.S., but it was, you know, very exacerbated and very uh, enclosed into a specific space. Right. You know, there were, there were very stark class divides at this time, which the film, you know, integrates then into its actual storytelling. And I think it's done very well where you get this depiction of kind of like poorer, you know, more desperate kind of, uh, you know, black criminals trying to knock off the mobsters because you know they don't live in these communities that they are fucking with they actually live across the divide and they live in these nice places so it's kind of like they face racist violence from kind of like the rich white mobsters and also they face racist violence from also the police at the same time so the way that they see it is that if we knock off the mob and we get money we can get the fuck out of here because anyone else who could have afforded to get out of here like anyone in the middle class already did at this point in new york's history so all that was left was basically just the dilapidated buildings, which, by the way, they all shot in this film on location. Yeah, it's which it's was something. Why it's so good? It's why it's a must-watch, in my opinion, because it, it captures New a New York that just doesn't exist anymore. It's it's yeah, up there yeah. almost with like Taxi Driver and, or Mean Streets, I think, in in, in how you know it captures. Um, something that just doesn't exist yeah like the moments in the like they'll go into those deep alleyways where it's just covered in trash it almost looks like a junkyard in a way just because it's been it's like those areas have been forgotten about by the city um and it it was it actually reminded me of the ending and they do it they go there a couple times throughout but um in black caesar where he ends up it's it kind of becomes his grave almost yeah, he, um, he, he he returns home yes, and and his yes. home is getting like basically beaten to death by a bunch of young uh children in right. basically a, a similar kind of looking alleyway yeah <laughs> yeah and that's th- th- those images just reminded me of that film specifically and uh similar themes are brought up as well so well 
Well, yeah, and it's a similar thing that Larry Cohen, very famous for his guerrilla style of filmmaking through New York mm. City, where he never got any permits to film anything, <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 he used the fact that he was in New York as like his big biggest sort of budgetary value, um, which was that you know he could th- you didn't have to build any amazing locations; you had amazing locations on you, and they, they took the same mentality when making this film, where they you know they uh, I, from what I understood, they told Sheer and Quinn that they would prefer they actually didn't. Shoot on location uh, just because you know it, it, it was still a lot of this stuff that they are dealing yeah. with politically was still happening in the time in the place that they were filming right. but uh, Sheer was able to convince them to use these new sort of like airy flex 35 cameras that they used which I read were you know very revolutionary at the time for being so small and lightweight which is why you get so many incredible images of you know them being able to move through these very tight New York built spaces yeah. like there, there's so many like medium close-ups tracking shots handheld like following them like through these like dingy staircases into like these really cramped uh bathrooms and everything yeah Mm -hmm. you 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 really get that feeling of like the cramped uh apartments and the really you know sort of like uh authentic kind of rundown quality to that they that they are aiming for in the story and it it really emphasizes you know the 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 desperation and things that these characters who in the opening scene are knocking off the mob are trying to escape from i thought that was what was kind of radical about it was kind of the structure was that yeah, the yeah. like the, the opening scene of this film is literally the bloody massacre heist uh, where you don't you don't know who these people are you don't know why it is uh, you know th- that they're doing all you get to see is them break in uh, steal this money and viciously murder everyone over and they're it. dressed as cops as well right they're disguised yes yeah. Yeah. yeah so that image of like just just these people dress up as police and taking down both the Italian mob and the and the black mob is like that there is a it, it really sets the tone for what we're about to see all these factions just kind of coming together and going after each other. Well, and, and, and it's just so interesting because it, it doesn't prime you to uh, sympathize with people yeah. who would do something like that, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that's in- intentionally what it's going for. And then the rest of the film is laying out the reasons and conditions that led to that happening. And you realize that these people are absolutely just a symptom of, of something far, far um, worse, which we'll get into mm-hmm. in some of the, the the character specifics, like the Paul Benjamin character who references, you know, his his history of you know being in prison and being uneducated and disabled and basically having no forward momentum of of any kind and basically just being shit on by everyone. But it, it's interesting that it, it it saves that kind of you know reasoning and empathy for later in the film. It opens on the shocking violence where you just get to see <laughs> right. Polly from Rocky <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. fucking massacred um yeah (laughs) (laughs) well it's important too right it's like who 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 is killed too in that opening right it's three three italian mobsters uh two guys uh from the black crews and then two corrupt cops right is as you guys said this unholy alliance and uh and one of the reasons why i love this movie so much is again it's it's very very accurate to what was going on in New York at the time, the numbers racket, but more specifically the way Harlem worked mm. in, in, in the way of um, the cooperation between uh, the very famous sort of black racketeers like Bumpy Johnson, Frank Lucas, Nicky Barnes, and, uh, and then the Italian Mafia because the, um, 
Harlem was a was a mob stronghold forever, and uh, and and famously at the the Palma Boy Social Club, uh, right below 110th Street, um, in Harlem, uh, was where uh, Fat Tony Salerno of the Genovese uh, crime family held court, and so we saw that in the Irishman actually, uh, mm. when they went up to speak with Fat Tony, they went up to Harlem, and uh, mm. and and so. It's uh, you don't see this a lot in the movies, but like the the mafia and and these black gangsters, it this was a very active and tight relationship. And the numbers rackets, which is what uh, gets robbed in this movie, was um, for a long time a one of the the major money makers for the mob. Uh, do you guys know what the num the numbers rackets are? No, no. So essentially. What it was is, and this was millions and millions of dollars, it was the, the lottery before the lottery. And okay. essentially the mob had a bunch of kids, runners, numbers runners, who go around all neighborhoods, the whole neighborhoods, and everyone would, would pick numbers. And then all the, the slips would get brought back to these uh, number spots run by the mob uh, or controlled by the mob and then uh, run by the, the black gangsters. And... The, the winning number, the way they would pick it was, it was usually um, the, the numbers of the winning horses throughout the day at the racetrack that day. I forget which track okay. they used. And so that was, and truly made millions and millions of dollars uh, for the mob. And it was something that everyone did. Like every hmm. single, was, was famous in, in, in Harlem and, and all the boroughs of New York. So... Um, this is something also that would happen, right? Like occasionally young kids who, as you said, just were the wild cards would try and knock over these spots. And then usually something like this would happen. So again, one of the wow. reasons why I like this movie so much is not only is this like a mob movie or an organized crime movie, it actually is a very ground level and accurate depiction of, of this time and place. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize that, you know, you would think that some of it would be emphasized and some of it on a character level is probably emphasized for a little bit more dramatic effect. But yeah, I did not realize that this was literally the kind of thing that, you know, people would try to do to get a leg up in, in, in Harlem if you were particularly desperate. Um, because it, 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 the way that they uh, depict it, like it, it is really filthy. Like seventies red oh, yeah, paint ruthless. squibs. The yeah. the 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 shooting and the cutting of it is is really intense. Like it, it's a really messy scenario. Like when they when they break in and they hold everyone up and there's a montage of them like counting and licking licking their fingers and writing in the book and flipping through the cash and everything like that. And a well-oiled machine. I think that's yes. a very Michael Mann moment too. I I've always <laughs> yes. felt that like that's such a it's all silent too, right? It's just guys who like I love that opening because I'm like, how many times have these guys done that? Which makes the robbery to me all that more shocking because right. that sense of purpose of like worker bees almost, yeah, is they, like they know what they would doing. never have expected that, right? And so I'm already like, these guys must be insane to rob these people. <laughs> this yeah. is how they were acting uh, previously. Yeah, and, and and there's and there's lots of like uh, tense inserts and everything like that as they're all like being like who's gonna make the first move, and you know they they end up gunning them down and, and running their way out and there's this there's this amazing moment where there's like you know shots inside uh, the car sort of like William Friedkin style mm -hmm. as they're 
you know, trying to drive away and the guy's trying to do like a three point turn. That's really great handheld camera work. And that's in close proximity to the, the action. And, and as, as Nick kind of pointed out, like the ground level, the street level, um, as, as well, you really feel like you're, uh, I think, I think it was, uh, friend of the pod jacob knight in his review of this he he described it as it feels like you're riding shotgun with these guys who just not knocked mm-hmm. over the mob um and you, you you really feel that uh you know the the intimacy and the intensity of 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 that and then we're shortly after introduced to you know the the, the cops that are going to be you know in, in investigating what's going on here we have we have anthony quinn playing uh captain uh frank and then we have Yafet Kodo, who is um, playing uh, William Pope, and is kind of like the uh, the, the young and uh, you know more formally educated officer who is trying to you know uh, change the way things are, kind of from the inside um, a, a, a little bit. Versus Anthony Quinn, who is very much a very old school uh right out of like a 50s noir <laughs> cop yeah. um who is uh very very violent and 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 racist a lot of the time in the film which also i guess would probably have been pretty accurate for the time um but yeah it's it's very much like you know they're not breaking any new ground here with with this relationship and that's why you know this movie is as much as I love it, like it has its limitations, right? Like this is a very mm-hmm. sort of stock relationship, but I think, I think the chemistry between Anthony Quinn and Yafet Koto is very good. Um, yeah. yeah. I also, I just have to correct myself. I realized I said Palma Boy Social Club was below 110th Street. They're actually the 116th Street crew. I believe it was oh, on okay. 115th Street. Do you know what you you would have been yelled at so much if you? But didn't so I just couldn't live with myself. If the boys <laughs> on the organized crime forum found out about that, they'd have my head. So <laughs> they would be like, "Nick, I can't believe you said that." Everyone's going to leave talking about it. <laughs> I love the introduction with the cops going into the 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 killing scene because they're at first very confused about how it could be so like multiracial they're just like just how did this happen right exactly right like, it's so, it's, yeah, well, it's why, so why are there three italians hanging out with two black guys and two cops? yeah it's like if it's not specifically <laughs> related to one gang they're just con- like absolutely confused and befuddled <laughs> which I, I i did like that detail just it's starting to get more of like a a gray area that no one's understanding Mm-hmm. And, and, and Anthony Quinn also, um, the way that he plays his character is it's very uh, weary and frustrated. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the way like that he's he, tired. he plays his performance. Yeah, because because he's, you know, the way that he sees it is he's been, you know, trying to, uh, you know, kind of help help the community for decades by just beating up all the various poor black guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, what and, he, you know who he actually reminds me a lot of is Jeff Bridges in Hell or High Water. I would <laughs> kind be, of yeah I see that just that just that weary cop definitely a little racist but you know he is still trying to solve uh, the crime mm-hmm. um, right get down to the truth at the very least right yeah and, and 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 maintain right and also too the reason I like organized crime movies too is they're all about movies about men with codes right moral codes which is just uh I know uh I have fellow man uh I'm amongst fellow manheads, so 
It's yeah, like I'm all yeah. about movies about someone with like a code. And Anthony Quinn in this movie always struck me as someone who, like, yeah, this guy is a, a dirtbag, um, but he believes in something. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and, and he too, you know, there are moments here when he works with Yafet Koto where he, he does start to, I think, feel the regret of the many years of, of actions that he's taken. Like, like at first he wants to help mm-hmm. him and by helping him, he means just, he just wants to beat the, uh, the, the, the witnesses up. <laughs> right. um, and then Yafakoto was like, Hey, we don't do that fucking shit anymore. Yeah, like, can you please like, stop like, assaulting my witnesses? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he's just like, well, what I do gets results. I'm tired of your liberal bullshit. And uh, all, all they do is they cut down to the guy, just like pat, like completely knocked out. And they were, and yeah, it's just like, I don't, I don't hear him talking yeah. to you. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I really like um, a- Anthony Quinn and, and Yafet Koto's uh, relationship because they're definitely trying to be the, 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 the two sides of sort of like the old guard of law enforcement and what is meant to be sort of like this, this, uh, this, this, this new force that is trying to be more liberal and, and sensitive and, and part of the community. But uh, I think by the end of the film, they kind of realize that what they are trying to to do is kind of impossible. That you know, no matter e- even if you have you know someone like Yafet Kodo inside, there's not much that he's going to be able to do that's going to you know change the situation. And both of them come head to head with just what it feels like a never-ending hydra that is yeah. mm-hmm. you know sort of like these the these systems of of, of crime that have that have been built. Notes yeah. a scene. Notes a scene I love in this too is in another thing that's like a hyper accuracy thing that i feel like uh you don't see a lot in these mom movies is how the orders to uh nick the psychotic uh mob hitman to go kill to like go torture and kill these guys comes at like the granddaughter's birthday party and the boss is just this old man in a sweater and you know he just sort of calls him over and he's like you know it's no good we can't have this and that and 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 that's all the guy needs right and he's off like a bat out of hell and that is like like startlingly and almost shockingly accurate to like who these guys actually were like Mm -hmm. it was it was just it's old italian men in sweater vests are (laughs) causing massacres in harlem and and that's what was going on (laughs) i also love the the detail of when nick gets the um the, the instructions from the older mafia guy, it cuts to him like kind of reading the instructions back to himself in the car as if, as if it's like constantly in his head to get this job done right so that he's not whacked or whatever it is. Yeah. Cause um, he's going to get clipped too. Yeah. It's like, he's exactly. like, you're going too. So. Right. Yeah. I think he implies that it's like his last chance or something like that, which really does lead to this character being absolutely ruthless and brutal, especially near the, uh, near the end. Yeah, he he goes like full full psycho mode. And <laughs> yeah. what, what's what, what's interesting about that too, though, is that you can tell that he's also like kind of like an underling. Yeah, and he's I, scared, I, I wouldn't I say I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far bit. as say that the movie has sympathy for him, but it lays right. out the again the conditions that lead to someone like him, exactly. which is you know I think I think it's the Doc Johnson character uh, who gets the the to kind of point out that you know he just married into the mob. And, uh, you know, he's been an underling for however many uh, years or decades, and he's going to be nothing but that. He's still, you know, just doing, you know, the the job 
that other people don't want to do, which is go into Harlem and find the three guys who robbed us. Mm-hmm. Um, who, <laughs> by the way, those guys uh, are just having a blast with that money at first. Well, the one oh, is. Yeah. yeah, the one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Henry Jackson, I think, is 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 the one who he was in Shaft and Foxy Brown and 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 Putney Swope, and he gets a really sick uh, pimp outfit with his money. <laughs> oh yeah, and he, and he, and he starts outfit. spending up everywhere, and uh, you know Paul Benjamin is kind of doing that thing, uh, which is funny because it's kind of like in in Goodfellas where he's like, you know, don't go spending all of the money on flashy shit. They're gonna know who ended up with the money. They're gonna know who's you know richer than they should be, um, and. Uh, Paul Benjamin's character is uh, playing, he's playing Jim Harris and he is the one who kind of takes it a little bit more low key and seriously. And I thought I recognized him too. And it turns out that he's one of the uh, old dudes who hang out next to the red brick wall and uh, red brick wall and do the right thing. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and cause I was like, why do I recognize this guy's face? I absolutely know this guy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I but I really like how they you know they they end up showing you the details of his life after you know they just stole what was it three hundred thousand dollars, but then they you know show him back in the building that he works at where he's basically like a janitor or a porter and there's him like taking the phone call there's that great shot looking all the way up the spiral staircase at all of the people yelling at him to go and like clean their toilets and shit. it's so great yeah he's literally like supposed to be the boss of Harlem he he's essentially supposed to be like a bumpy johnson stand-in who was yeah. like you know the the guy in harlem forever but was always under the thumb of the mob much like he is and so that's this movie i i always like to joke is just like a bunch of middle managers like trying to kill each other to get <laughs> yes. a promotion and that's yeah. why it's so good it's 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 not it's not anywhere near the top it's not quite it's not people like not really involved it's just it's guys trying to make their way up the ladder like every other schmo yeah yeah one and i like too that you know he he goes to his wife about about the money and she's just like you got to give it all back like it's that that's the mob's money like and the the the, and uh she and he was like you think that after i just killed that many people they're gonna just take this money back and she's being like you know the money to- uh, money talks the dead are dead and she's trying to convince him you know that he can still get his way out of this but he's basically like either i'm getting away with this with the money or i'm dead or or i'm dead and that's you know that that's basically it. and i love that she's just like you know you have no chance of of living out the week like this and he essentially says you know you know, I had no chance uh, before this week. I had no chance a month ago. I had no chance. You know, like uh, it, the fact that this job went down because, like, he just recognized, like, uh, like a uh, the accountant from work or something like that, and then he recognized the Cadillac, and mm-hmm. like literally, it was just a couple of coincidences that led him to know where they were going to be doing the counting, and then you know, the, he was just like, I have no education. I'm. Uh, disabled and he even says to her own point you need to get your mind out of that white woman's dream he's trying to lay out you know the real you know very political desperation uh, of his poor circumstances and mm-hmm. it's very interesting that they you know they they finally kind of 
introduce us to that version of them as they're laying out the actual investigation because then it it, it leads you to this thing where you're kind of like you know i kind of like yafet koto and anthony quinn and i kind of like this guy and i would not like to see them maybe all, all kill each other each other yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but of course they have to, right? It's, right, they're, they're and that's the too tainted. Watching, yeah, yeah. That is the yeah. thing about this film too. It's like as I was watching it about halfway through, especially, you just realize there's no way out for any of these people. Like that, it's kind of inevitable yeah. that it ends the way that it does. Um, still shocking, however, that last image, which we'll get to. But it's uh, yeah. That's all I could think is like I was just kind of watching people destroy themselves slowly and and by the end that's essentially what what you get as well Mm -hmm. well and 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 there's also some really great um you know like 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 detail like one one of my personal um favorites um in a moment that i thought was just so bleak and so uh, you know, it, it, it's so imbued kind of like the, the, the racial contradictions of the film, which was um, when Nick uh, Sylvia he's hunting down and slowly killing these guys. And there, there's there's some some scenes where they get really, really the scene cool. in the like, nightclubs. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. really great club photography. So flashy and the dancing and, and the music and everything. But then Nick comes in and he's behind this like shadowy barrier behind the staircase. And then he comes in. And what's so interesting about this is that, you know, you know, on some level on the plot that this obviously had to happen because it's the mobster coming back and beating up the guy who stole from him. So, you know, I, you won't go as far as to say that necessarily he's in in the right or anything because you know all of right. them are in 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 some ways uh, tainted by what they do but we know it's but, gonna happen <laughs> but 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 we know it's gonna happen we know why he's gonna do it but he just also has to be super racist while he does it yeah so he's he's he's, he's throwing around slurs while he's just like absolutely beating the shit out of this man and they end up finding him it's like, like comically racist it's, yeah, he's yeah. insanely racist. I think he's, a, he's sort of a come the... town character, just like insanely <laughs> yeah. racist yes. Italian cop. I think he even smacks one of the the dancers that runs up to him. Yes. like wow, like so he's just on a rampage. Anyone that's in his way is 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 getting the fist. Well, yeah, and and he he they eventually find that guy like crucified with like his eyes pulled out and shit like that. Uh and they you know he he ends up you know anthony quinn's trying to like interrogate him in the back of the ambulance and everything and so this last guy's last moments were just like experiencing a vicious like hate crime (laughs) and then having the cop being like you know you're you're already dead like you need to tell us you need to give us the fucking information and you know all of this kind of stuff and a, a great uh way that I, I could tell because at first I wasn't sure like how intentional this you know was meant to be read as any racial commentary and then it was all confirmed in the scene where he finds the second guy right and he absolutely beats the living shit out of him he eventually looks like he's about to like lynch him but he ends up hanging him upside down to scare the shit out of him over top of the building that he finds him on and it's a great you know sort of like chase scene leading up to it and everything like that a lot of good but- rooftop stuff too Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of black exploitation stuff had really awesome rooftop chases and people running through like those little doors. (laughs) The layout of uh, New York was was, is so sick in that in that regard. Like every rooftop seemed to connect to one another, so they have so many different platforms and elevations when they're doing layers. Yeah. Like yeah, these running scenes. It's it's great. I I love it. 
and that was the genius of just shooting it there, right? That's why Barry yeah. Shearer was like, "Are you insane? Like, of course we're gonna shoot it in Harlem." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's it's gonna look cool and it's gonna give us this, these really amazing, you know, uh, choreographed set pieces that we can do. Yeah, and yeah, the the thing that's really noticeable about that scene where he catches the second guy though is that he he gets even more racist with his targeting and somehow (laughs) to to levels previously unknown before the (laughs) 70s yes and um it cuts to doc johnson's men sort of like the the members of the black mafia who are there and every time you just get these really intense sweaty close-ups of their uncomfortable faces watching as you know this uh italian man just like yells the n-word while you know torturing this man uh essentially to death um and it's so interesting because you know i thought almost dramatically it was going to lead to like they were going to jump in and you know help the man out or something like that but it's it's even more complicated than that it's just this moment where like they recognize the the racist dynamic that's taking place here but it's it's so ingrained in the business that they know that they have to just let it go and it's, it's just, just dog it's, eat dog right they're like yeah. better him than me is yeah. is i think the way i've uh read mm-hmm. it yeah but and, i but and, i but i but I, I think a film that is you know like you know less interesting wouldn't have included those edits like they are 100%. so intentionally placed to make you feel the the uncomfortable aspect of you know this italian man just dishing out uh very overt racist violence Um, despite the fact that if he didn't do that you know in another movie this would be uh again kind of like a like a dramatically justified moment of this guy stole my money i'm gonna beat him up now (laughs) i also find it interesting that he he starts like almost being um it's it's grossly playful with him like he starts saying like just tell me baby like while he's hanging him upside down yeah and then he also does this weird thing throughout the movie which i just liked on a kind of a character actor uh perspective is that he he takes two of his fingers and constantly like wipes the corner of his mouth with them at certain it's a good tick it's a good bit of business it's for sure a good bit of business um but yeah i just wanted to bring those two things up because there's certain character ticks that he does that are really fascinating and kind of just adds to the grossness of his character definitely definitely well and, and i really like too because we, we haven't mentioned him but uh richard ward is the guy who plays doc johnson in this um mm-hmm. obviously he was in he was in um the jerk and uh, i recognize S- him too such from, a good uh, voice what a what um, a great voice yeah yeah i was gonna say i, I recognize him from mandingo and dude his he, he sounds like he's been chain smoking for like 50 years <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's unbelievable but uh, but also the little bit of you know power he's able to exercise mm-hmm. uh over people there's uh, uh, one including absolutely... the, the italian mob which is really interesting dynamic with him yeah well because there's there's one that obviously you know they, they have like a, a business relationship with them that they you know the italian mob realizes that they want to be bringing in you know right. money from you know the, the 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 poor black people who live in harlem but also you can tell that you know uh they they want to give this guy enough power but not enough power that he takes over so there, there's a, there's an interesting sort of like uh dynamic that they play between you know doc johnson and the italian mob but then also doc johnson and one of my favorite scenes, which is um, Anthony Quinn and Yafet Koto going to visit visit him, mm-hmm. um, where uh, Yafet Koto finds out that Anthony Quinn's character um, 
has actually been on the payroll of Doc Johnson. Right. Um, and so that he actually was a corrupt cop, like, helping this guy, you know, like, despite the fact that, you know, he cares about street-level crimes and everything like that, you know, he was still letting, you know, the the larger people behind those symptoms, you know, go unimpeded. And he was saying that, you know, he did it because, you know, the, the force wasn't paying him much and, you know, everything like this, and he tries to lay it out. But it's really interesting watching Anthony Quinn, who obviously came from a different period of, of, of filmmaking, kind of, you know, wrestle with the fact that, you know, to, to other people you know, the, the fifties noir cop just looks like kind of like this racist dirtbag. uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, even though, you know, he, he knows on his level that he has a, a better moral code than that. Um, and, and he's, you can almost see him very desperately, like looking over at Yafet Koto, knowing how bad it looks and being like, Oh my God, is this how, <laughs> is this how I really look to people? And he's like freaking out that and having like an existential crisis over that. And I thought that that's just a really interesting way and a definitely a more, you know, to approach that. And it's more interesting for Anthony Quinn's, um, performance. He's filled mm-hmm. with so much regret over that. Yeah. It's a great sweaty performance too. I feel like, I don't know if one of you said that already, but just, a lot of great uh, facial sweat. I feel like everyone is was constantly sweating while filming this movie. Yeah, yeah. Every oh, yeah. single character is just is is just at the the pretty much the the tail end of their life if they don't continue to do what they're doing. So it's it, everyone has a real sense of urgency in this movie. No one can just kind of lay back and and hope that it all works out. Everyone is actively doing things to try to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I like the big uh, like climactic moment in in that scene when uh, Anthony Quinn tries to get Doc Johnson to basically like shoot him, and he's like, "I'm not going to shoot you because I can see that you you want to die, that you right. you 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 want to be you know uh, uh, crucified for your sins, and I'm not going to let that happen to you. I want you to wallow in your bottle of whiskey or whatever." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's it's just, it's just such an interesting. Um, you know, uh, power dynamic to, to bring up in that scene. And yeah, I mean, eventually that leads to, you know, they, they, Anthony Quinn and Yafet Koto's characters are trying to hunt down the criminals to bring them to, you know, a legal justice before the mobsters bring them to mob justice. Right. (laughs) Um, and what's interesting is they obviously, they fail at doing that because Nick De Silva gets to brutally and racistly just torture and murder very slowly. These characters who we know are just like these poor desperate guys, um, which is, you know, something very sad that you have to wrestle with in, in the film. And then you also get to see some of the aftermath very, I think, uh, intentionally as well. Like I think about the scene where Quinn and Kodo, um, go to the wife of the first guy who gets killed, which is Mm -hmm. such a powerful scene where she has to like put on this face of like, you know, this doesn't, you know, I'm strong. This doesn't, this doesn't affect me. This is what living here is, is like. And then the second that they leave and that door closes and it just holds for like an extra five to 10 seconds on that door where you can just hear her sobbing behind the door. It's brutal. Yeah. It's brutal. So brutal. <laughs> Some, yeah, moving, brutal. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And I and I I just think that like little details like that is what really sent this movie over the top for me because again, the actual, you know, action of the film, it's it's still exciting. It's still suspenseful. It's still watching these guys try to try to out outrun the mob and the cops simultaneously. 
um, and like you you get really awesome chase scenes and and, and car chase scenes and and when the gunfights hit you know they're they're really loud and they're very sweaty and they're very bloody and it's the, very you know, lived exactly, in movie yeah it's yeah very they're lived they're exactly what you hope for for you know a kind of crime grindhouse affair but then just throwing in these character details like this just uh you know they they make that violence kind of sting even just you know a, a, a little bit more and there's and there's really unique style to it um as as well like i think that um you know uh i i haven't seen i don't think anything else that that barry shear has done but like there's there's some really cool little uh choices in the filmmaking and in some of the the editing there's there's a really great cut where the the one uh guy who's getting tortured by nick da silva ends up like falling or getting pushed down mm. i think like stairs or an elevator shaft or something like that and he screams into the void as he's falling and then it cuts to paul benjamin like waking up in like this drug-induced haze also screaming because of like a nightmare that he's having mm-hmm. and those two shots are like match cut together in a way that like connects them both even though you know he's not having that violence come for him yet he he senses how close it is to him and eventually it obviously does get after him too in the big climax of the film and everything yeah, I also like that uh, the one part. I think is it is it Joe that's held up in the one place. He's the last one that remains with. Uh, oh, uh, Jim, 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 Jim Harris. Um, yeah. yeah, they have that one line where they look at each other and and he he's kind of like confirming like he thinks that maybe they're gonna make it. And right when he says that, the camera pans over to this absolutely filthy window, and you <laughs> see the mafia coming out of the car and into the building. And it's just yes. it's, it's an instant <laughs> sense of dread. You're just like, oh yeah. fuck, like. <laughs> Nothing good is going to come from this at all. Yeah. And luckily, yeah. Jim does kind of have a big fighting moment. Uh, unfortunately, the, the girl does get shot in the head. And he, he, it's one of those things that he doesn't even notice at first. It's it's Yes, just, it, it, it's so casual that yeah. she just takes a bullet to the head. Oh, and he man. doesn't notice until he runs back in the room again later after running out right. and killing Nick. <laughs> yeah, and Nick, like, he sends him through the window and everything. He falls <laughs> down. And at one point, he goes back out and he, like, blows a car up that crashes. It's it's pretty pretty wild. It, it, it has a... a a truly wild climax, yeah. I would say. And as you mentioned, well, yeah, that I final mean, shot is just one of my favorites. Oh, so. man. So cold. Well, because I, I was, I was going to say, too, in that climax, one of the craziest parts for me, which I, I don't exactly, I don't even know if I want to know how they did it because it looks so dangerous, <laughs> is, is, is that one where he goes outside and he starts shooting people in the streets from the people who are running away. Mm-hmm. And he shoots that one dude who tries to get in the car and drives away and the car flips over and explodes. Right. And the one dude tries to get out of the car on fire. fire. <laughs> yeah, the man is gnarly. completely on fire. So gnarly. Screaming too, um, like he is in pain. Yeah. It's, it's wild, yeah. Yeah, so I was like really, uh, you know, shocked, shocked by that moment because that's like a, a moment of insane stunt work not seen anywhere else in the film, essentially. But it again, it, it just achieves that like that that extra level of kind of violent cruelty to it, where it's like the guy just can't get shot through the windshield and die in the car. The car needs to flip, <laughs> yeah. it needs to explode, and he needs to be screaming and trying to crawl his way out of the car <laughs> while well, he's burning alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's just that that level uh, that extra level of severity to it is yeah. just uh, really really brutal, and then that leads into the big you know, the big actual you know chase through the junky alleyways and the abandoned run day uh, rundown buildings and everything, and 
you know, Paul Benjamin just like hopping rooftop to rooftop, just like shooting cops down while they're chasing him and and stuff like that. And a really cool uh, moment in the in the score there too, where it adds in like this like uh, classical percussion mixed in with with what sounds like these like clanging wood chimes or something. It's a very <laughs> percussive score, which I liked. It kind of uh, it just really drives those action scenes forward a lot and creates a lot of tension. But yeah, it's a very percussive score. I liked that a lot too. Yeah, a, lo- a lot of the black exploitation movies had really, really cool little funky scores. Like they did like, the title song is, yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say we didn't even mention it, but the, the t- yeah, the yeah. Bobby <laughs> Bobby Womack is just like it's so good. I heard the song before I even heard the, I knew about the movie. I so that's also, how you know you have a good song. I found it interesting that that one because um, I think Tarantino later re-recorded it for his movie, right? Yeah, because because when I when I first heard it, I've, I only actually heard Tarantino's um, version of it, whoever ended up doing that for him. But that one's actually more upbeat, whereas this one has a little bit more melancholy feel to it, just slightly, mm-hmm. which I th- which I thought was a, you know, suiting, uh, suiting tone. But yeah, that was that was how I first heard it, too. I heard it in the, the title track, the, the, uh, yeah. the title card for Jackie Brown. Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, and then I was like, damn, there's a movie called that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, OK, just, wow, they made a movie? I just like smacked myself song? in the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, then, you know, you get you get the big chase climax where Paul Benjamin's being chased down by Anthony Quinn and Yafet Kodo. And it's you know, you're you're like, this is like the worst you know, it, it, it's so funny because at the beginning of the film, you don't think that this is where you're going to be, but you're like, can't everybody just go separate ways? Can't everybody just like, you know, does, does this have to happen? Yeah. But of course, you know, they have to uh, shoot uh, Jim down uh, on on top, and it's very brutal. And, and he gets a moment too that I think is really uh, beautiful, where he gets to throw the bag of money over top of the building towards mm-hmm. the kids playing below. And mm-hmm. I actually thought yeah. because. <laughs> the way that the movie functioned i was like if they shoot him off and he just falls and splats in front of all those kids i was like that would be just too too mean that's too don't, much yeah that's yeah i was like much. don't don't please don't but that was where my mind was at like that's how sad this right movie yeah is. yeah that's yeah this movie is a kick in the nuts but i uh, again i think that's what makes it good but yeah it, thankfully yeah. they didn't go that far but uh is it no, caught on the th- one that ends up shooting him finishing him off or is it another omin- like an anonymous cop? Because I have it written no, down that I thought it was Kato. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm yes. pretty sure that it's that that it's Kato, but it, it's in or a dramatic Kodo. situation okay. where um, Quinn is in trouble. Like that's the only reason that he does it because you can tell that Kato doesn't want to shoot this guy down because he's been talking to their families and right. he kind of knows their story a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he he doesn't do it until he sees that Quinn is like in in, in danger and he thinks that you know he's going to get shot down and then it doesn't even end up mattering because the uh, the mob is waiting across the street to shoot Quinn anyway. Yeah, which is the big yep. what a final shot, shot of the too. film. Like just it's awesome headshot, freeze frame on the headshot. Not even like the reaction. It's just he's dead, and I don't even think he hits the ground before they freeze frame. And then no. it's just the credits. Yeah, it doesn't even hit the ground. No, it, it's it, so it, matter it, of it, fact. It freeze frames on them reaching for each other's hands. Right, right. Just God, man, <laughs> so sad. No one comes out yeah. on top here. Yeah, yeah. A, and, a, and, 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 a perfect ending to a movie that was is that propulsive too. That is mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that sort of a life or death from the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I I really like the um, how how kind of just matter of fact 
everything uh, happens. This is it, it's so blunt and and cruel and kind of gross with with its violence that it, it absolutely makes sense that that was where they decided that they <laughs> that they 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 wanted to end it with just this kind of like because Kodo starts out not liking Quinn. Right. And so he has a little, by the end, I wouldn't even necessarily say that, you know, he, he really likes the guy, but he is definitely more sympathetic to him realizing, you know, that that some of the choices that he's made were out of, you know, desperation, um, as, as, as well, and not necessarily out of malice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just, you know, to, to end on, you know, him coming to that realization and then just watching, you know, two people just get gunned down. And, you know, the actual system by, by the system that exists still outside that they didn't actually accomplish anything. I think that's yeah. like the key right? Um, to the movie is that obviously Quinn, he's playing this aging racist noir hero who realizes too late that, you know, no one sees him that way because he spent his entire career beating up poor black men instead of actually confronting the larger system of corruption. Actually, he was part of it. Uh, that that you know they are a symptom of but also you know that for um the the kodo character who has more liberal sensibilities regarding racism and police violence that he just gets to see how firsthand you know how how useless you know the nypd actually is at you know Mm -hmm. solving this issue that it's so ingrained everywhere that you know he's not actually you know by just answering you know to a stick up gone wrong (laughs) he's not actually going to you know change change anything and i think that that's ultimately what makes this movie like super um effective for me Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, maybe pivoting towards uh, reductive rating round. This one gets a uh, gets a pretty strong uh, four um, from me. I think that you know for all the reasons that that we've said that it has a you know it has a really sort of uh, compelling uh, you know observation of race and class tensions of late sixties um, Harlem. And as you know, Nick has pointed out that it you know it, it it took a lot of you know from from the actual crimes that were taking place at the time as part of its story, and then very effectively incorporates the you know the derelict location detail of actually shooting um, in 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 Harlem and shooting with this very intense, close, handheld style of filmmaking that that really makes you feel like you're on street level with these characters in these you know uh, amazing uh, locations, and then. You know, to uh, also do that in what is like, you know, undeniably a very, you know, thrilling on its surface genre piece, including, uh, you know, a crazy explosive chase scenes and really bloody gunfights and, you know, these these really suspenseful, uh, you know, like torture sequences and things like that. And uh, to do all of that and ultimately leave you feeling very, very depressed and uncomfortable at these, you know, real class and race contradictions that have just been presented alongside, you know, what is the slow, brutal torture and murder <laughs> of these, uh, you know, these these desperate people trying to survive, and then the, you know, just the sobs of their family members. By the end of the film, that's what you're left thinking about. Yeah, there's a whole I think lot that of people in the morgue. That's all that's left. Yeah, and I think that that's a really compelling way to tackle this story is just to open on the heist. Mm-hmm. And then just make the actual film just the slow torture of all of the characters who did it, and you having a better understanding of why they did it and their you know real material 
conditions and their emotional lives and everything. And it's just a really, it's a really kind of cruel way of doing that, I guess. But I found it uh, very effective. And I, you know, even watching it just for the first time, I I found this um, very, um, you know, uh, moving. And I wanted to to also quote a friend of the show, Steve Carlson. He has a very long review on Letterboxd of it that I would recommend every everyone reading. But he had a really great line uh, near the end of of his review where he kind of addressed the fact that um, Paul Benjamin's Jim Harris and Anthony Quinn's character and uh, Nick kind of fit a, a, a triangle of people trying to, you know, assert power within this system and basically mm-hmm. all of them end up kind of failing in their own way and his line that he wrote was uh, that power is a hard thing to give to have to give up and it's harder uh, if you've never if you never even had it in the first place mm-hmm. and either way you will be called to answer for all the collateral damage that you've left in your wake yeah that's good I think yeah I agree with that I, ha- I also I'm gonna go check that out I hadn't seen his review I'm gonna go check that out. Do it up. Yeah, I would. Uh, I'd also give it the four out of five. Um, just for everything that you guys have said, uh, I, I usually lean towards more um, like character studies a little bit. But I guess the only we haven't discussed a lot of black exploitation on the show. But the ones we have that I uh, uh, specifically remember is Black Caesar and Truck Turner, and I just having them be the focus of the story. Uh, always helps me just attach myself to the, the story itself. But uh, as this film was going, I could just see how uh, the, the systems at play were going to basically destroy everybody in its, in its path. And um, it's just, it, it, it's pretty, it's a pretty nihilistic film. Um, all things mm-hmm. considered. I, 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 I did find myself a little bit taken aback by it at first, but that, that definitive moment at the end when, uh, Quinn is shot in the head and they just freeze frame and th- and that's what you're left with. Um, yeah. It just made me realize what this film was kind of saying about the, once again, the systems that play, the, the, the racial tensions that were especially in the in, happening in the 70s. And um, yeah, th- this is, it's a very bleak film, but I think it's, it's worth going through uh, because it's, it's, it's sadly accurate. <laughs> I guess I guess <laughs> would be the, the way to put it. So, yeah, four out of five. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it. For you, Nick. Yeah, I, I think I think four out of five. Um, it's, a, it's a favorite of mine for um, entertainment value, for as dark as it is. Um, and I also, again, I encourage anyone to watch it just to really get a sense of, of, like, the time and place. It's funny you see something like the deuce that spends all this money trying to recreate uh new york in the 70s and and that's why mm-hmm. i'm i feel so lucky that we have movies like this where well they actually were there so mm, um, yeah i love that i love the textures of this movie i also um i'm a man who like in organized crime movies and, and crime movies I, just uh, all you need right is is like a heist of of a moderate sum of money and i'm in so uh, I love this movie. I hope this gets more people to check it out. And I think I think it was probably a, a big influence on a lot of other movies people love, and people might not realize that as well. So, yeah, yeah. check it out, guys. It's it's a it's a thrill ride to say the least. Um, though, though, don't expect any happy endings. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very sad film. Yep. Yep. 
As is Fireball. our next film, which uh, yes. is another reason why I <laughs> thought they would pair so well. Because um, this is a very sad, sad life, uh, which I think is why yeah. it's it's so fer- fertile for for movies. Hell yeah. Well, I think that I'll, that'll wrap it up for uh, Across 110th Street there. We are going to be right back, and we are going to be talking about Donnie Brasco. It's your best friend that does it. You have got to pull him out. You think I'm a rat? How many times I have you into my own house? If you're a rat, then I'm the biggest mutt in the history of the mafia. If I come out, Lefty dies. They're going to kill him because he vouched for me, because he stood up for me. That's the same thing as if I put a bullet in his head myself. Do you understand? Who am I? I'm a spoke on a wheel, and so are you. Hey, Don. Yeah. Let's take a walk. I'm your best friend. All right, we are back, and we are talking Donnie Brasco, the 1997 American crime drama film directed by Mike. Newell, starring Al Pacino, Johnny Depp, uh, Michael Madsen, Bruno Kirby, uh, pretty all-star cast. Paul um, Giamatti, and, Tim Blake Nelson for one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> for, for just like one-off scenes. <laughs> yes. So good. So f- forget about it. <laughs> forget about it. Yeah, it's a great scene. And uh, written by Paul uh, Atanias. Oh my god, Aten- Atanasio? Atanasio. Based on the book, obviously, uh, from 1988. Uh, directed or uh, written by obviously the uh, the the guy who the story is about Joseph D. Pistoni. Joe Pistone. Hey, Joe how Pistone. Are you? Yeah, who actually has yeah. his own podcast now, which is really? not bad. Yeah. Wait, is, wait is, 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 is he is he not still in hiding? What's he doing? Is he okay? um, yeah, is he all right? Thought he had that five hundred. Listen, the mob contract. isn't hitting anyone right now. There's actually a really good podcast. Is NBA and the Button Man. Uh, a guy who was made in the Lucchese family in 2013 and then flipped in 2018 just has a podcast now where he talks about <laughs> the mob. It's insane. I've That's posted crazy. about it on Twitter, but it's like, it's riveting stuff. It's like, and I feel like our generation the deal. is the only, like, like who else would be able to get away with that? They couldn't go on the radio in the 80s and just be like, hey, I was a mafia guy. Let's let's do this. They'd easily no, get no, whacked. I, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, it's only because... At this point, the mob like really doesn't want to do any sort of like they they don't want any heat whatsoever. So right? Yeah. Too many movies. These guys on aren't him. too worried. Though he is still like um, also too. This guy didn't accept uh, like witness protection or anything. I think he just oh, moved. Okay. Though he didn't do a very good job because I think I'm pretty sure he moved to Georgia because uh, I think he just like said that by accident on the podcast once. But <laughs> again, I don't think anyone's gonna hit this dude. It's just, like. It wouldn't be worth it. Um, but the podcast is phenomenal. Not to pimp like somebody else's podcast on yours, but trust me, they don't exactly. It's, th- it's not a crossover. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem at They're, all. They, they aren't going to be taken. taken I mean, it heat. sounds pretty interesting to have this guy's perspective on things. But yeah, so anyway. That, well, I was, I was going to say that's probably connected to part of the appeal for you, Nick, right? Which is that this is this is a, a mob film that is adapted from a book written by a guy who actually did do the undercover work and actually was part of the mob for for many months and, 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 and years. So I'm, I'm it, assuming it, that that's yeah. that's, uh, you know, that that's what it intrigues you. Exactly. It's it's also it's important to put into context a couple things about this movie too and about what really happened and one is that 
this movie is one it's never explicitly said but in real life so this movie's about uh, centers around members of the bonanno crime family and uh, a strong pr uh, presence and alliance uh, of the bonanno crime family uh, was in canada for a long long time uh, and was run by the Rizzutos, which were known and they were all around uh, montreal and they were at one point known as the sixth family but so anyway, the that I only mention that because two uh, in real life, famously two Canadian members of the family came down and participated in the three captains murder. Uh, right, and it life. was it was oh. Jamie and I. In the movie, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's right. right. That, when, I, when I need hitters from Canada, I call you boys down. Um, <laughs> but the 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 other important uh, context is. Joe Pistone infiltrated the Bonanno crime family at a time where they themselves had great internal upheaval. And and we see that as well in the movie with the boss, who again is named specifically in the movie, He's supposed to be Carmen, Carmine Galante, was, was killed in sort of a civil war type thing. And that's what we see in this movie where it's Sonny Black, uh, which is the crew that Donnie Brasco was a part of, was aligned with uh, one one member of the family named Phil Rostelli, who was in jail at the time, but he led one faction, and then the other faction of the family was led by the three captains, uh, the Sunny Red, Big Phil Lucky, and, and Big Trin, who we see in the movie, and they were sort of vying for control of the family. So not only was Pistone undercover, but he was undercover at, at one of the most infamous moments and, and present for one of the most infamous moments uh, in, in, in mob history. Um, wow. So, hmm. so that's important. The other important context that, that I don't know like how much I need to stress for your listeners, but Joe Pistone, as Donnie Brasco, was going to become a made member of the Bonanno crime family. He was going to be inducted. Uh, <laughs> the FBI decided that they couldn't legally allow that to happen. And right. that's why that didn't happen. But I don't know, like, I can't stress to you how, and your and the listeners, how insane that is, that he was going to be a inducted member of, of the mafia. That is... Was it just unheard of to get that far? Is that essentially... It, yeah, it's it was so hard to become inducted, period. And then on top of that was at this period of time, the books, as they were known, were closed, had been closed permanently for, for like 25 years. They okay. were closed by the commission. So f certain families didn't necessarily follow this all the time, but theoretically no, no guys, new guys were made for 25 years. So there was guys, there's famous mobsters, who were just like toiling away as associates for... 25 over some some people over 25 years i mean so well, yeah like was, like like like, like, like the like the pacino character in the film exactly right. i was just gonna say yeah that's where you see Lefty him and he's still like just in a kind of you know small apartment and and just watching hyena tapes all day and having no money <laughs> and yeah so i okay yep I mean, that was and that Lefty was what personally really was was a famous brokester is what they call uh, them in the mob which is these okay. guys who never have any money 
And so that's like, again, that's what's so interesting to me, right, is those guys, is we are not talking about the Corleones. Right. Right? Yeah. We're talking about Lefty Guns over in his d- dump apartment in in Williamsburg. Right. And, uh, but, 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 but you know what? It's, it's like Goodfellas, right? What does he say to Donnie? The first thing, when they first meet, my mother can hold her head high in any of the five boroughs. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so... And so I, he I, I might can't be, hear that anymore and not think of Travolta, <laughs> right? Which is which is too bad that he ruined that because that, that is a great line oh, from Five Boroughs from uh, uh, Pacino. But the the point being, right, is like that's why it's worth it for this guy. This guy, his entire life has been a waste, right? All he does is complain the whole movie about how he's been passed over and he has no money. But this this notion of being a part of this secret society, right? so great to him that it's it's worth it for that right it's henry hill saying it was all worth it because the neighborhood kids carried my mother's groceries home it's right you know it's almost for for people like us for just normal people it's a it's an almost unknowable uh mindset and also too you know that's why it's so great to see this pacino right of course we associate with michael corleone now in his tracksuit making coco van you know, <laughs> with his with his punch I, I, of salt. I loved all the scenes of him in his like crummy little apartment in his tracksuit, just opening it up and getting the cigarettes going and watching his nature documentaries and <laughs> just having just having a great a, a great time. Well, and two, he's been through the ringer, man. Like his kid's an addict. Um, he, I think he at one point says that he he has uh, a penis cancer. Which I did not know was a thing actually until this film. I don't know if that's. I don't know he if also lefty guns in real life uh, owed like a, over a hundred thousand dollars to a, a a capo in the Bonanno crime family, and so that debt was so bad that that actually kept him from being an inducted member until he managed to pay that debt off somehow. Um, Damn. so this was, con- so the whole stuff, the, the constant bits in this movie of him just like asking Donnie for like all the money on him essentially at any <laughs> yeah. given time, uh, is very true to life. Like that is what Lefty Guns was like, apparently. I love that, uh, that callback they do later on, um, more close to the end of their relationship where he's just like, uh, he's like, I did this for you. I did that for you. If I had money, did I give it to you? Well, no, but I would have. <laughs> yes. One of my favorite lines. I, 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 I love this movie cause it's so quotable. I mean, I feel oh, like yeah. I, I quote this movie so often, so many good lines. Um, performances are top notch. And honestly, I think the, the script is as well. Uh, for me, that that kind of brings it back a little bit is Newell's directing, which I don't think is this is I think his best movie that I've seen. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that there's certain like there's a little bit of flair that he's lacking. I find, um, and I think he's at certain points. I think he should have gone a little further with the uh, the violence, but that could be just me being a sicko on the Sleazoid show. I don't know, <laughs> but. Um, but but I, I will I, say I, performances I, and writing I think are top notch in this. Yeah, movie. I, I think that this is a really really well done script. And obviously, when you have characters like Pacino reading a good and, script, and you're, you're going to get magic accurate, on screen. Insanely right. Accurate. Yes, yeah. yes. That With the that, politics that, and all that. Yeah. That too, and and even on some level, I can forgive some of the, um, you know, some of the kind of flat uh, direction of of Newell, or maybe not even flat, maybe just a little generic. I guess like I found some yeah, of it. It's not you know, bad. Just, just, 
just where there were scenes that you know just played a little bit into you know despite the fact that it's so real every so often it would play into you know kind of just a a, a dramatic cliche with like really i thought there was a strange score to it at certain moments that was just like very obvious and over dramatic strings to it really kind of telling you how you're supposed to feel landing very obvious just emotional beats that the characters say out loud and i was just a little bit surprised to find that in a film that otherwise i think as nick has been pointing out is like very you know true to the situation then sometimes would just get you know a little hyper dramatic for me at at at, at certain points i honestly kind of wished that they fully committed to the flatness of it because i did like how that kind of captured you know because i was i was going to be willing i think to forgive that this didn't have the panache or the style of yeah. a scorsese gangster movie because that's not what it's trying to be this right, is a movie that's exactly, hanging out yeah. with lower tier gangsters who haven't got uh, much out of guys being who are, in the who family. are literally stealing quarters out of parking meters, which <laughs> exactly. was apparently what a great something moment. that these dipshits did at the time. And, 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 and what does he say? He says, a score's a score. Yeah, a score's <laughs> a score. Yeah. yeah, and I love that too, and that was and that was literally, apparently how it was in these social clubs, just every day guys coming in being like, I have a truckload of razor blades. Just like, cool, <laughs> what are we supposed to do with that? Like, I got a, I got a rack of suits, you know? And, and, and uh, Madsen does a great job as Sonny Black, and he, um, you know, he, all that stuff with him where he's just like, you know, what do I have? I have you schmucks, and we're in this bar in Williamsburg, and then you have Sonny Red, who's making millions, and that's very accurate to the mob too, where it is this great, it's a wide band, right? There is no salary in the mob. There is no 401k, right? Is you eat what you kill. And so you have guys who ostensibly, right, so Sonny Black gets bumped up to a captain. And he's in charge of the crew. You've guys ostensibly on the same level, and yet some guys are making millions and some guys are making nothing. And and that's sort of a, another sort of interesting discrepancy that has always fascinated me about this this subculture. Yeah. I know I, I really um like enjoy the the overall kind of um structure to this where you're following um johnny depp who is playing uh joe pistone who is pretending to be donnie brasco who is you know uh trying to get close to lefty in order he's to, a guy you know, playing a guy disguised as another guy <laughs> that. that that's right but but i i will say i i thought there was like an interesting lack of um you know uh that that kind of feeling uh, that you get of that like paranoia of being undercover i was i was surprised it, that it didn't quite go to that realm like of uh leonardo dicaprio in the departed is something i think of sure. where he gets kind of like in in, in 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 intense and he gets you know kind of uh you know i i think about the scene where he is like forced to kill someone with uh shit who's that who's that british actor who's there oh uh, ray in, winstone in, ray ray winstone and how you know he you I, in my opinion in that film you just really really feel um his transformation into you know on the doing the mundane daily work of being a mobster to the point where he's you know he gets into that kind of like that you know he he can't distinguish himself um from that and i i see in the material that this is what's this is going for and for some reason it just when it got back to 
Johnny Depp doing the you know the shrill wife domestic stuff. It's I the was weakest just, part of the movie. I'm I was always yeah. like, I hate that. It's it's funny. This movie, I'm so insane that I, I quite frankly like. I edit this movie in real time in my head <laughs> as I watch it. I truly think I do because I agree with you about like the flatness of the direction and certain musical cues. But I, I swear to you, like I rewatched it earlier today. I didn't see any of that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, I just only I know exactly focused what you on, mean. I on the stuff that, like that. that I like so much. It's all I see right is the the scene when uh, they're walking up to the social club for the first time and Al Pacino's explaining to him the difference between friend of mine and a friend of ours and and it's so good because that's like that's my favorite type of of screenwriting right is like so much of this of organized crime has to do with language and what's said and what's not Mm -hmm. said and what's left unsaid you know and and how oftentimes these guys are saying one thing and meaning another thing and so often i take issue with movies about organized crime where the characters don't they just say what they're going to do. You know what I mean? There's right. no, yeah. there's no sense of accuracy to this language, and I think this movie does uh, justice to capturing that sort of, um, like what a knock, how knock around guys talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think especially, I think this is a very, very well written film, and I, I think too that I, I ended up reading that you know they were able to get so much of that language you're talking about, right? Because they were literally given access to tapes of them speaking. Yes. Oh, um, right. So like they were they were literally able to like so on on a writing level, this is exactly how all of these people would have talked, um, essentially in real life. Um, which is obviously a very cool thing to just, you know, have in the world yeah. <laughs> out there to I, just know that that is how, you know, these people kind of talk to each other. And you, you do get some like wonderful, like intimate moments between some of these characters. I mean, I think, I think Pacino, you know, he's been, he's done special work in basically everything he's been in, but like there, there is some really good, um, lines that, that, that he gets in this and, and great moments that are just, you know, so kind of pitiable but at the same time endearing like i find him very charming but at the same time like you know you you, you do kind of just feel bad for him in a way that makes him yeah. look pathetic like i think about sure. that scene where they're in the motel in florida and uh he thinks that um his uh, card d- to santo Trificante jr he was gonna give the fucking card to a boss it's so <laughs> funny it's just, I, I, what I, were you I, thinking dude come well, on and, and, and I, and I think about how he he doesn't like uh, to be cold, and he freaks out when Donnie like opens down the oh, the draft. The, 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 yeah, the you're wind, gonna kill the, me with that fucking the, draft. The window Donnie. for the draft, yeah. But in the motel, he thinks that Donnie has fucked with the air conditioner because he's so cold in the motel, and he's just like, and you know, Donnie's like, you know, someone else is probably, you know, this is probably uh, Sonny Black's sense of humor because you were teasing him about his shirt earlier or whatever. You know, this is, you know, someone did this to you, and he was like, I think you did this to me, you little cocksucker or whatever. <laughs> and then he's like, you, you don't call me a cocksucker, you you cocksucker. And they start going back and forth, and it's such like this pathetic thing where they're clearly fighting about something else and they are fighting right. about but they won't the fact it. that yeah right. they're, they're they're fighting about the fact that lefty thinks that donnie is you know going to leave his mentorship and go you know into business with sunny black instead of him who michael madsen who is a little bit higher tier a little bit you know more uh you know a, a little bit more cool conventionally you know he doesn't we don't we don't get to see him lounging in his tracksuit. very capable uh, guy yeah, very, it's a very it's, serious, capable guy, and, and and someone who, as he says to Donnie, is able to actually help him ascend 
the crime family. Yes. You know, unlike Lefty, who is sort of a dead end. And and I think Lefty knows it, and then the side of uh, Donnie that's actually Donnie Rasco now knows it too, right? It's And, and I agree with you, Josh, uh, too, that it's the... They, they never hit that uh, paranoia thing, but I think they do do a, a fairly interesting job and good job of sort of getting across how he does become this guy, right? Yeah. He totally loses Oh, he, he, he definitely starts talking like them and being able to pick up on their language. I think that's the most important part is the, the, the way that he learns to interact with them. Because when he first um, meets up with Pacino, he's teaching him all the rules. And he's just right. like, you know, you got to get rid of that mustache. You got to, you know. Which I is a real what... thing, by the way. That's true. No Damn. mustaches in organized crime. No pants. You also can't. You also can't have a five o'clock shadow on on the on the NBA and the Buttman podcast. He talks about one time how he he had a five o'clock shadow when he met his captain, and the dude like dressed him down for it. it was like you shave your face when you come meet me. And that was in like 2017, by the way. Oh, yeah, shit. and so, so he, 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 he teaches them the ropes of being a wise guy and carrying his money in a roll, not a wallet, and not wearing also jeans real. and all of this. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I love that, you know, he, 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 they sort of bring up that, you know, they have regulations in the same way that the FBI has regulations for him because there's a really hilarious joke where yep. the FBI asks him to shave his mustache and he's like, I'm going to do it anyway because the mob <laughs> asked me to shave my mustache, which I thought was That's really right. funny. <laughs> but over the course of the film, you can definitely see him pick up the language and being able to talk, uh, you know, about what Nick was talking about, how a lot of the time they would say one thing, but they're really talking about something else. There's a coded kind of language um that that they have and i i i really liked the scene where they're fighting with each other and they're getting progressively angrier at each other for saying calling each other a cocksucker which is like probably the 15th worst thing that anyone calls someone in this film and like they right. definitely you know they don't give a shit about that at all they have very they have very vulgar uh language overall i would say but it's so yeah, funny yeah and that, donnie also too was undercover for years too. Yeah, I, 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 I read that he didn't see his own family for two years, which is actually yeah. where the the film becomes a little, you know, um, you know they, they they keep they keep trying to like connect the family back into it, like he's going home every day. But it sounds like the real Pistone did not go home. Yeah, uh, for yeah. a very, he very lived long it, time for sure. I mean, seriously, like I can't I can't stress this enough. This dude was gonna get made if you do the right. math on like, all right, there's what? How many Italians in New York City? couple million there's how many italians are involved in organized crime Ten thousand less probably how many of those are actually made a couple hundred so we're talking yeah. like uh, in a weird way again i'm not condoning it but like it's harder to to get in like you have a better shot at being accepted to harvard yale and stanford <laughs> in the same year than you do of ever being inducted into the mafia so that shows yeah. you that says like this was a guy who lived and breathed it yep and 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 you know it's a it's it's stunning that this happened. Well, yeah, and, and, really and what I love about that is that it sounds like obviously like this is a very prestigious thing, and then you just the movie makes room for such pathetic moments where he's like, right. "Are you gonna kill me over a fucking draft? Like, what the fuck are you talking about?" And you just watch Pacino like wrestling through his handbag, and you're like, "What the fuck mm -hmm. is he going for?" And then he like it takes him a full minute to pull a switchblade out of his bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's. Pacino is like the king of bits in this movie yes. too. Like every scene, he's pulling some type of bit. 
Yeah, that, that, that's like that's like a like a physical comedy gag. Him trying to pull that that switchblade <laughs> out of his bag, and then he's in his big blanket running through the the Florida, like like outside. He locks himself outside. He's screaming about how wise guys don't work on Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> thing thing things like that so i i really liked how the movie did make room for like what seems like these very realistic and and kind of you know not necessarily even you know eventually it's sad but mm-hmm. I, it, it is just kind of like pathetic detail um right exactly or it, even which, like which i which i the, think is great the very frightening politics that donnie ends up realizing as well i mean he always knew that this was going to be very just violent and and horrible but that scene where he's forced to uh cut apart all of the the so leaders nasty. that, that, yeah, that they, just, yeah. they just destroy the bodies and at one point he uh it shows that lefty just takes out that one other henchman that they've been friends with for he said he mentioned that they've been friends Mouse. for like 20 yeah, years Nikki, Nikki, and who so, apparently they wanted pesci to play that character which oh, would have been a bit much probably yeah, yeah. probably uh, but that, re- then Donnie in, yeah. realizes that it's like, if you can shoot this guy that you've known for 25 years just based on an order, then where the fuck does that lead me? You know, like, right. it, it's just, uh, that, that was a, Spokes a really Spokes on cool a wheel is shot. what it says. Yeah, I think yeah. they do a good job of really getting that across that one, well, the only people in that life who are going to whack you out are, are your best friends. Yeah, it's they, the only way you're going to get hit is someone you've known for 20 years. That's yeah. just how it is. And also, that one day they just call for you. And you gotta go, right? right? I think Pacino and, says something yeah. like, "It's like in the army, it's it doesn't matter. You're killing people you don't know. You're gonna be killing your friends in this line right. of business." I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he says. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that that's also what leads to kind of like a more comedic version earlier uh, in in the film where he gets called in, and it's mm-hmm. getting called in for Michael Madsen playing Sonny Black to say that you know he's been promoted now that the boss has been whacked and there's you know there's been a, a, a rub out they say in the paper, and uh, he gives him the gift of of a lion. Uh, which comes <laughs> which up multiple. So useless. Mu- I love it. Which is comes up multiple times where they're taking the lion for the walk, like down the street. I love stuff, like yeah. Pacino's like thirty years and for what a lion? Like he just is like, what the fuck am I gonna do with a lion? And then you have well, amazing the- shots of them feeding it in the parking lot of the back. Yeah, all the, the hamburgers. It's, it's such a crazy detail. <laughs> and what's what's even funnier about that moment is he goes, "That's why you sent for me." And he's like, "What? You thought you were gonna get whacked?" Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. because he was because yeah. he was partially prepared for that, and he he even tells Donnie, you "Oh, know, he was super uh, prepared. He was like, he thought he was going." Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So it's uh no, it's great, and yeah, and they're just goofing on him, right? And uh, <laughs> what? But I but I love Donnie too, who's just like, oh, come on, man, like, so what? They gave you a line. You th- it's better than getting whacked. You thought you were gonna get whacked, and he's so mad. Yeah, look Donnie's on the bright like, side. Yeah, he's, he's like, you thought you're getting clipped twenty minutes ago, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah. he's like, I now did you not think that. Animal. Did I say that? He's like, did I say that I was gonna get whacked? And he was like, well, not in certain words, but you know. <laughs> yeah, how many words does it take, Donnie? How many? Yeah, I, I say that all the time. Well, how many words does it take? <laughs> And then, and then, and he's like, you know, Sonny, Sonny probably only got, uh, you know, moved up because he was probably in on whacking the boss. And then and he's just like, another thing that I get passed over for whacking the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His perspective on things is just so like, uh, confused after so many decades in this, in this, I guess, uh, business. It's wild. I also like, uh, the way that uh, they portray Donnie having to do some pretty horrific things. I mean, we mentioned the, yes. the body yeah. uh, 
delimbing everybody. But there's also the uh, Japanese restaurant scene where he just gets uh, Good the owner of the the restaurant completely beaten up to a pulp in the bathroom just because he can't get caught. So there's a my, lot of my that. favorite detail um, about this scene is that he just immediately puts all of his chips on racism. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And it and works. And he knows it'll work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and in a, and I also, I would be remiss if I didn't say this, in a bizarre case of, of life imitating movie, in, uh, like, last year, um, a Bonanno uh, soldier, so same crime family, ended up becoming a federal informant because he engaged in a drunken, unprovoked attack in a sushi restaurant where he blinded the owner of the sushi restaurant for some reason. Damn. And rather than spend eight years in jail on assault, he became a cooperating witness. However, his his mob nickname was PDBS, um, <laughs> and the juries felt the same, and, and literally every uh, major trial he's been used as a witness in, including last year the trial of the acting boss and... Uh, consigliere of the Bonanno crime family were, were both found not guilty because the jury felt he was such like a despicable person. So <laughs> anyway, that's like such an unnecessary tangent, but I always laugh. I'm like, what What a weird like full circle life imitating art yeah. imitating whatever. So. You also you also get with Donnie in that scene. Um, at first, he's like trying to stop them because they go pretty far, and then the moment that the that the owner just kind of pushes him away, he just starts beating him again even more. Right, and then right. cut yeah. to him listening to the tape, almost like he's putting himself through something torturous. Like he, he's like yeah. it's like remember what I did, or he's trying to become numb to it. It's not entirely clear, but I like the uh, the kind of gray area there. Well, the thing, too, the rule, too, and, and Pistone has talked about this uh, before, is right, is when you're undercover in the FBI, like, technically, you're not allowed to engage in any crimes of violence. Mm. And that includes ass- assaulting a Japanese guy uh, <laughs> yeah. in his Who restaurant. Who was just asking you to take your shoes off in right. his restaurant. However, and the only reason you didn't take your shoes off was because you have a wiretap in your shoes. Right, right. Yeah. And, it, and it's like, however, as Pistone said, like, it is a gray area because the number one rule that supersedes everything is don't, don't blow caught. your cover by yeah. and get killed. So, you know, when that's why Pistone also is such a wild card, right? Is he was undercover for years. Like he was going to get made again. Like the amount of shit that guy had to have done right. <laughs> for the mob is like, I'm sure we don't even know the, the full extent of <laughs> Yeah. It. Yeah. Well, yeah, we, we, we know that he helped chop up some bodies, that's for sure. Yeah, in he very included gruesome that. detail. <laughs> so, could only be worse that he didn't what he didn't include. <laughs> yeah, that, that that scene was surprising to me because the movie was surprisingly like very like not particularly uh, well, violent. So interesting enough, violent he until that moment. In real life, yeah. he wasn't actually present for that. They changed that. Oh, the movie. okay. okay so they, 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 they wanted to the, emphasize that. He heard it, he heard about it later. However, because it was such a like monumental event. Um, they wanted to include it because it, it changed everything within the crime family while he was in it. Okay. Uh, but we actually, we do know everything that happened of in the actual murder because Joe Messino, the former boss of the Bonanno crime family, became an informant in the early 2000s and was the first mob boss ever to do that. So mm. if, uh, if you have some time on your hands you people go pull some court transcripts and read some pretty interesting stuff 
Yeah, it sounds mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds amazing, honestly. I, There's a I, good I, book too. I think it's called The Last God. I'll shout out a couple book recs uh, at the end. Actually, I'll save that for the end. But I'll, okay. I'll give okay. the reader some book recommendation. Sounds good. Um, I I really like too that you know it's it's an extension of kind of how this whole thing is about how these are kind of lower tier you know yes. mobsters trying to make their way up but i i really like how like the big plan in this film is just to open up a club in florida yeah it's great <laughs> yeah. isn't it it's like that's the big move it's the dream <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and, and he's like throwing a like a yacht party to convince the florida boss to like uh, allow him to stay there year round so he can open up his club and everything but then sunny black hijacks his 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 thing and as nick mentioned earlier like uh lefty was planning on just giving the boss like a card like a like a greetings card that he found with donnie that just had some wordplay about the term friend from (laughs) one friend to another and he was just like this is this is brilliant the bosses love this kind of shit if i give this to him maybe uh you know i'll be his friend (laughs) <laughs> and he'll, uh, and of he'll, course, he'll let me stay in Florida. Movie, uh, has takes place in the same universe as American Hustle, because they're on the ab scam boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, which, which is, is uh, which is important. <laughs> yeah, which is how. Yeah, which is more was kind of like the only time the jig is almost up uh, on Donnie is when um, is when Lefty sees like the boat had been used in this FBI sting. Yeah, and then so. he switches it on him. He says it's like we outsmarted them, and tries and convinces uh, Lefty to, you know, kind of be mm-hmm. like, "You did a good thing by outsmarting them while you were on there, so don't worry." I do I like having lo- him having to constantly come up with ways to get out of those situations. It is really good writing. Mm-hmm. I also I always love the scene in the airport uh, when the prosecutor recognizes uh, the oh, stone, yeah. and he has to just punch him just has to <laughs> he's drop like, him. He tried to grab my cock i don't know what to tell you <laughs> yeah, also, yeah his excuses are Such always so excuse. funny right yeah. The, 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 yeah they my killed cock. my old man in okinawa and he tried to grab my cock Two <laughs> absolutely flawless that's so good excuses yeah. in 1980 he's like forget about it forget about it he tried yeah, to grab my cock. forget about it that's right so good yeah yeah yeah, yeah, and, and he he almost does get get caught by um, Lefty, who who does find out that 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 boat you know was being used by the FBI, and, he's, and he you know it was it was part of Donnie's you know plan was that he could get him a boat, and you know it was kind of his idea. That's that happens in that scene right with uh, Paul Giamatti and Tim Blake Nelson, mm-hmm. where they show up and they're they're kind of just uh, I I know why they're Nick's favorite characters because they're guys who are listening in and they're just like man this stuff's kind of cool, eh? like yeah. they just say it's certain me. words. It's, it's the viewer, <laughs> right? It's like I am just Giamatti and, and Blake Nelson, right? Exactly. I'm sitting there with my Budweiser, my Bud Heavy, just listening to core transcripts. So, yes, <laughs> talking about all the different ways you can say "forget about it." Exactly. I love and it's that. Great. Scene. And right, and it's all—it's exactly what we talked about. It's all language, right? One right, word right. means everything to those guys. Yeah, and I yeah, love I mean, how it like and, and they were like explain that what what is that and he's like well it's it's this and it's that and it's like and, it's like it has like five different meanings and he's like sometimes it just means forget about it yeah and he <laughs> right. he says it with such a sentimentality like he's really growing uh, closer to this kind of language and lifestyle in a way mm-hmm. like when he says yeah. the when he says the line um you know sometimes it just means forget about it there's almost like a a, a pride in his tone yes. a little bit and I I really like that part. 
Yeah. See, the, the, this was this is what was interesting to me is I like I could kind of tell through the writing because it was just yeah you know, it was pretty well done that you know he was starting to become more like them. But then they just they always have to. I, I found some of it. They just felt like they really had to underline some stuff. Like then yeah, they have a yeah. scene where his wife literally screams at him. You're you act Changing. like one of them now. Yeah. And he like right, right. smacks yeah, her. So so heavy. And I was. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, I don't know that that's necessary. Like, I feel like you guys were. I feel like they just lost a little bit of confidence in some of the. I'm writing also pretty sure that didn't happen, and Joe Pistone was probably like, "Oh, cool." Now so I, I smack like, my, wife. my wife. Now, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. I also I did like the one part they did with the family where he returns and then he instantly gets a call after he has a conversation about his wife not you know not doing this as much anymore, and he just gets a a cool little shot of him looking at his family having dinner and then just goes away. That was mm. kind of the subtlety I was more so looking for with the family stuff. Um, yep. But that mm. I did like. I liked that uh, that shot. Yeah, well, or uh, the, the one family scene that I, I actually latched onto, too, was the one where he calls from Florida, and he's mm. asking about his daughter's upcoming communion, and you can just see uh, both uh, Madsen and Pacino, like, staring him down at Florida, being like, who the fuck is he on the phone with? Yeah. And shit like that, and, and he's just talking about, like, you know, the kids are going out to school, I'm taking them out. You know, that kind of stuff while he's just like living it up in, in Florida as a mobster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I so like, uh, some, of the, some of the places where they nailed the contradiction, I think, worked. But they, they did you fall back on those scenes a lot as like a crutch to get to the you tension know, to, a little bit to, 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 to try and really emphasize, you know, what I feel like was kind of either already in the material or. Um, stuff that, you know, Newell yeah. just wasn't as successfully dramatizing as he could have. Because by the end of the film, I, you know, I could see absolutely what it was going for because it, it does end up with the situation where, um, you know, he is being confronted by Lefty, who's like, why did you tell us you had a boat and the boat was an FBI boat? Like, what the fuck was that? And, you know, he, he ends up talking his way out of that being like, you think that I knew about that? Like, I got it from another guy. He must have been, you know, the guy. And plus, we got away scot-free. So clearly the FBI investigation, you know, nothing came of it. So, yeah, you know, we're fine. Whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he ends up uh, being asked to murder, is it Sonny Red's son? as uh revenge for fucking up with their club yeah who's uh currently uh uh whack whack bruno and delicato who's currently serving a 20-year sentence for engaging in a hit in 2002 i think oh, he gets wow. out in 2026 we'll have to have him on <laughs> yes. i'll come back yes. on we'll get we'll have, him we'll have on. to ask him yeah we <laughs> that'd be pretty legendary him. i will say <laughs> he's uh yeah i'll put it this much he's uh he's remained true to himself i don't see him coming on any podcasts but uh but one can dream <laughs> absolutely <laughs> but it, 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 it's interesting because this is where they 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 stop him for the fbi stops him from doing that because he's going to literally go commit a, a murder yes. which is kind of what you were saying is that they yeah. you know if he was going to be made and they knew that and he was going to have to do some sort of you know uh murder in order to do it they would you know put a put an end to it there so they th- that's where they kind of stop him um from he wanted to do the full as as we called in the biz he wanted to go full vigo and eastern promises he wanted to be like <laughs> i'm the captain now <laughs> yes um and one thing that i thought was was interesting at 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 this point was that they go in and they ask and they literally go yeah see this guy right here uh he was um uh, an fbi agent the whole time 
and uh, here's pictures of him. Here's him uh, being a part of the FBI. Um, anyway, uh, here's all the evidence. Uh, we're not arresting any of you. Have a great day. And they, they, I think, guess rightfully assume that it's like a psychological tactic against yeah. them. But I remember thinking, there's no way that they do that. Like they have to protect the cover or protect. Can I, can the, I, you know what though? In this instance, it did actually happen. That that's how, how is that protocol though? Like that's insane. Did they get in shit it, for it? In some, it way? was more so. Um, it was more so them coming in to say. This is the situation. He was in the FBI. You can believe it or not, but if anything happens to him, we're coming down. Gotcha. Uh, okay. Hard. Okay. It's, and and that and that happened a few times in history. There was a essentially like there was one time I, I for instance where like John Gotti was picked up on tape saying, well maybe we should kill this DEA agent, and the DEA came to Gotti's house and they were like. If, anything if you ever heard a federal agent, like, the army will be here. Like, don't be an <laughs> idiot. So it was more so, it was, the movie it comes across more as like a gloating thing, but hmm. um, in real life is more so just like, don't get any idea. Didn't, didn't stop the mob, though. They, they did, in fact, as the end title card say, put a, an open contract on his head. Um, oh, man. It's, uh, yeah. it's crazy how, like... You, you do feel a little bit of like sympathy even for Lefty because he has that line before where he's like uh, where he really confronts um, Donnie in the car mm-hmm. and he basically is just like if you are a uh, FBI informant I have to be the worst mafia guy there ever was yeah. like like the dumbest and so yeah, when he it, realizes yeah, it, it, everything so watching him on the corner just like looking out on the street I I did feel like some sadness like this guy is just he's been you know, the he's been tricked, and 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 now he they, knows that he's going to They were the laughing whacked. stock of so, the mob. Like, the, right. this incident got them kicked off the commission. I mean, <sighs> they were like demoted essentially, yeah. but they were mm-hmm. put on a pay no mind list, you know, more or less. And uh, what's funny though is, and the movie changes it um, for cinematic reasons that i totally like which is they imply right that pacino got whacked out yeah with the Um, gunshot yeah yeah but in real life actually what happened was is the first guy to introduce brasco to anyone was this guy named tony mira and he got clipped uh Mm. it was sonny black is the one who got called 18 days after donnie brasco was was pulled from his under his undercover assignment and he went willingly and knew he was going to get hit. And in, you know, very theatrical fashion, they shot him in the back of the head and then cut his hands off. Damn. Uh, because he, intru- you know, he, and like, he just accepted he intru- it. Yeah, he wow. was. Yeah, he was one of those guys who sort of just believed in it to the end. And, and right. he know he knew what he was walking into, I guess. And uh, and then Lefty, actually, the FBI picked him up before the mob could kill him. Oh. But Lefty refused to roll. He was ah. like, I believe in this thing. And he did his time. And I guess the mob respected that he just kept his mouth shut, that he was left alive. And he actually uh, got out of prison and wow. got and like lived with his family for a few years before passing away. And nothing ever happened to him. That's um, crazy. 
Wow. So I mean, I do like damn. the change they make for the movie, but I the think. ending's great. Yes. Yeah, the implications the, the change are, are is fantastic. a lot better. Yeah, there. yeah. Well, because I mean, but, the way that he goes, tell Donnie wow. if he calls that if it was anyone, I'm glad it was him, and you can see him yeah. slowly taking, you know, his his watch and his valuables off because he knows that this time for real, he's walking out to his to his whacking. Yeah, and yeah. The, when he goes back to ugh. leave, like the couple pieces, it's I get a lump in my throat every time. It's just it's brutal. And him sadly watching like hyenas tear apart an animal. <laughs> right before yeah. too like yeah. oh my god yeah. although I, I i do find it funny because i i like the the moment where he closes the door and then you get the gunshot and mm-hmm. then you get the cut to Johnny taking practice shots. But I thought it was super funny. I read that the only reason this bit about Johnny taking uh, practice shots at the FBI, the only reason this was included in the movie was because the studio said we wanted a shot of him hold shooting a gun for the trailer. <laughs> right. And so they were like, okay, I, guess, I, I guess we'll shoot that and put it in the most like emotionally dramatic. <laughs> yeah. Like the they, they found a spot. That's for sure. Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Yeah, well, and and, and this kind of gets to my point is that, um, you know, I was kind of building to that I think, like, overall, I can see exactly what it's going for in the writing. And I think in the performances, I, I get stuff out of it. Like, I, I, oh, yeah, I, think I, they're great. I, I, I like that moment of Pacino with his valuables. But when we get to this next moment, which is of, you know, um, Johnny Depp, um, Pistone, getting handed his medal and his $500 check so for, so, you know, so brutal so insulting yeah. yeah for 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 all the you know for all all the work that um he's he's done i for for some reason that just that that genuine um friendship angle of it and i think what yeah. you're supposed to be experiencing there is you know the realization that he sold out and killed a genuine friend for like five hundred dollars that and right. like a medal that like means nothing to him, and uh, I would just say that it, I, my, I'm not sure if it's just a personal thing. It just it doesn't quite have that impact on me that like that existential despair that I feel when I watch like you know the Irishman do something similar when uh, right. I watch De Niro you know whack Pacino in that film and you're just left to sit with 50 more minutes of how empty his life is now without mm-hmm. that person in his life and I don't I don't know what it is I'm not sure if it's the depth performance um that's oh, just because 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 he's cause, really good but i because I, I think he's good but for some reason like the I feel like the the friendship angle on it is really uh, like I feel more of that charm from the Pacino character. Mm-hmm. Like I feel more uh, of the the friendship coming more from his side. I guess because partially because you know he knows he's got to keep this guy a little bit at bay, but then he's got genuine feelings for him a little bit in there too. And yeah, for for some reason I just don't quite feel that thing between them uh, from Depp's perspective as much as I do from. Pacino's perspective like him putting those valuables away and going away I think is like a genuinely really impactful moment and for some reason it just the next scene didn't hit me as hard and I was kind of weirded out by that yeah I don't think I I do agree that I think that Pacino's overall arc is is more impactful than Depp just kind of like looking into out the window and I mean he he has the unfortunate thing of the last shot being him looking at the family too (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah, I, I, I just think that some of the direction is a little bit flat, but I, I will say I think the performances and the writing um, make this a Are very, good, very entertaining sure. film. But I, I do struggle with it still, like uh, if we're getting to the reductive rating Yeah, we, we, we should pivot to reductive rating round uh, here for sure. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of struggle with it with it too. I mean, I think for now, for now, I'm going to go with the 
the highest uh, three I could possibly give. <laughs> That's where I think I'm at, but... Yeah. Because it, it's really close, and I don't really know what's struggling. It, it really just is, I, I don't feel the end of it the same way that I kind of hoped I would in the material, because I see it there. Yes. I see it in the material, and I'm like, okay, I get exactly what I should be feeling, and for some reason, there's just something in the way that Newell approaches it that doesn't quite hit it for me, even though, you know, some of his, you know, reasoning behind not being as, you know, stylish and, you know, having such flared filmmaking serves the material. It serves how, you know, the these guys are more low-key, are having more sad lives. Like, listening to Pacino talk about, you know, how his kid's an addict and he's got cancer and he lives in the same building that his ex-wife lives in that he sees in the elevator. And, like, you know, normally you're used to seeing a character like this and he's living in the Henry Hill mansion. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's just it's it's a very different uh, thing that it's going for. So I don't totally blame the approach, but I do think that you know there is a little bit of that kind of uh, very cliche, over dramatic kind of Oscar biopic kind of uh, sensibilities that it sometimes leans into in some of yeah. the the subplots, especially just in some in, of the I would think, but still there. less than you would expect for sure, because I think almost anything with Pacino in it is so well handled in the writing that it almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, for, for me, it's yeah. just when it gets to Depp being alone or Depp uh, being with his family, um, which is I, I did watch the extended cut. So maybe that's also more um it yeah, there's more definitely in that more too. family in that cut. Okay, so maybe yeah. I got to just give the theatrical a shot too, and that might be what's hurting it for me, just because it is two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. so I, I rewatched the theatrical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, because there there was so much of that would the drag it family down, stuff. Like. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. because I don't think Anne Hatch gives a particularly good performance either. Um, yeah, the, like I mean, so she doesn't so. have the best material, to be fair. But right. well, the point being is, yeah, we want to spend time with the guys. That's why we're watching the movie, <laughs> right? Is like, the, and and that's what and and I will say though, it does a good job of being like you in a sense feel that internal struggle of Pistone coming to terms with he does want to be with his other family. Yeah, you mm-hmm. know, it's yeah. him yeah. having to come to and and that's almost what uh, she says to him like at least be honest with yourself right don't don't keep blaming the work you know yeah you're, you're happy to do it you're so. embracing this yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i would uh i i'd i think right now i would give it like what like josh said the highest possible three i could give but i have found myself this is my second time watching it and i liked it more this time um and and i find myself still kind of having the urge to to go back to it maybe in a, like a, a year or so. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, yeah. it, it could get the upgrade. I just, I, I, I the... do like how kind of low key and unglamorous depiction of, of yeah. this kind of stuff it is. I, I do. I just do think that, you know, the guy who is most known for like four weddings and a funeral and Prince of Persia doesn't, doesn't quite have the, <laughs> the, 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 the skill to take this material to that, you know, yeah. that five star level. I think that it honestly could be, yeah, uh, based on the material, like based on everything Nick's told us about it, yeah, and how a, accurate it is, yeah. and what they've done to it in the screenwriting, and it, I think they did a really, really good job. And they just kind of, you know, they 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 just probably needed a, a little bit more of an accomplished director to take it to the next level for me. But beyond that, very, very solid stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, and performances I think are great. Writing's great. 
uh, just a little bit flat direction for me, but uh, I still think this is really good and everybody should check it out. It's an incredibly compelling story, and for it to be as accurate as it is and show the inner workings of the politics without all the glamour, I find very interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. For you, yeah. Nick. Yeah, I mean, the version of this that I make in my head, five. Maybe <laughs> absolutely. Um, oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's uh, this is so tough for me. It's like, I'll, I feel like I should just stick to my guns and say five because I love this movie. Hell, and yeah. Watch it. You know what? I just will. F- fuck it. I, I do agree with, with obviously everything. The fuck everything it five is a, is a very uh, honorable position to take. That's a I strong did it just, move. Yeah. I, I just did it a couple weeks ago on Bad Lieutenant, which is a movie that I've struggled yes. with like I, that's tons also of times. Five for me. That's, I, I, I probably forward sure. that like the first three times I watched it. And then on this recent watch, I was like, do you know what? I love this movie too much. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it takes me like five times to realize I actually just love it to death. So, yeah. And, and I love my favorite author and my favorite books are, are George V. Higgins and who who wrote um, Friends of Eddie Coyle and, and Coogan's Trade, which became Killing Them Softly, and he's sort of mm, a nice. the legend of, of of Boston crime writing, and and he's very sort of like Cormac McCarthy S too, and it's all sparse, right? It's all sort of this sparse ground level, and so, um, you know, Mike Newell's strange strange choice for this p- picture, not who I would yeah. have chosen, but but certainly does a very admirable job of capturing just what sort of a grim uh, existence this would be to to have been in 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 this crew in the mob at this time um but i think it's wickedly funny great performances and and i and i recommend it so that's a fuck it five from me and i also i i recommend people check out the book um five families by selwyn rab it's uh it's Mm. the bible in terms of this stuff and and it's what set me down uh this insane path of having all of this useless trivia so um good book recommend it and i recommend this movie hell yeah hell yeah i'm gonna go check out that book i've been in a reading kick lately uh so i might actually go do that um but yeah, uh, that'll wrap it up for everything uh, this week, I think. Uh, that was Across 110th Street from 1972 and Donnie Brasco from 1997. Thanks so much, Nick, for joining us for, for bringing these films with you. If you've got anything uh, to plug, this is where we have you do that. Oh, uh, it's total pleasure. Thank you for letting me take the time and the space to talk about movies I love. It's a pleasure to, to chat with you guys, as always. And um, Thank you. I don't have anything to plug, I guess, you can find me on Twitter. Um, but, uh, you know, check out those books, check out these movies, uh, toss the boys some, some dollars on Patreon. (laughs) They've earned it. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, until next time. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, for, for our listeners, we are going to be back in, uh, one week's time where we are going to be, uh, doing your guys' bonus episode over on Patreon. We're going to be, uh, yeah, doing the one you guys voted on. We're going to be talking about Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye from 1973 alongside Joel and Ethan Cohen's The Big Lebowski from, uh, 1998. We are going to be, uh, talking about two, uh, kind of, uh, leisurely films about kind of like an oddball outsider wandering through uh, a world of, of greed and, and violence that, uh, they don't partake in. 
and it's going to be uh you know it's going to be be a, a big old fun episode we're probably going to go super long on that yep <laughs> and uh then in uh two weeks time we are going to be back with a special guest where we're going to be going uh, real grindhouse exploitation mode. We're going to be talking yeah. about Seeds from 1968, directed by Andy Milligan, and uh, Blonde Death from, <laughs> uh, I think, 1984. And I haven't seen Blonde Death, but Seeds is one of the nastiest films I've ever seen. There's a Blu-ray of it out by uh, Vinegar Syndrome that I picked up. And <laughs> of course. That uh, that movie is like ostensibly like a, a family melodrama, like a coming home for the holidays style black and white film <laughs> that uh, becomes one of the filthiest no budget genre films I've ever seen. Just all sadistic 16 millimeter close ups of like bleeding wounds and incest and screaming and abortions <laughs> and drowning and everything that you can think of. And it's like 70 minutes. So. We're gonna be having a, a fun time. <laughs> yeah, don't miss the, it. The, 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 uh, the speaking of great taglines, since Nick brought up that he loved so much across 110th Street's tagline, the tagline for seeds: sowed in incest, harvested <laughs> in hate. Holy shit! <laughs> wow, that's like Cannibal Corpse lyrics or something. That's awesome. <laughs> Yes, so that's what we're going to be talking about in two weeks' time. Look forward to that. But uh, I think uh, that's going to be everything for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.